Yesterday, we were talking about something called Strauss-Howe generational theory. And according to that theory, which was developed some time ago, about 25 years, they say that we are in the fourth season, the winter period, where we'll be entering some kind of crisis. On that show, we talked a lot about what that crisis may be, and we should be in the peak of it. So perhaps it's some kind of internal conflict here in the U.S. But there's also something called Thucydides' trap, which suggests we may be looking down the barrel of war with China. Strauss-Howe generational theory could be predicting that maybe the crisis we face is World War III or some kind of large international conflict, and that may be China. So one of the we have a bunch of different stories pulled up, one of which is about China wants to ch- uh, teach young men masculinity because they're scared about changing gender roles. And it's something very different than what we see here. So maybe the crisis we're facing is multifaceted. Well, we're going to talk a lot about China today and what's going on with the Biden administration, what's happening in the South China Sea and Taiwan and Hong Kong and pineapples, apparently getting bought up like crazy because war can be weird. And we're joined today by the crew from China Uncensored. So why don't you guys just introduce yourselves and let everyone know who you are. Hey, Tim, good to be back. Uh, I'm Chris Chappell, the host of China Uncensored and uh, America Uncovered. I'm Matt Ganesta, the producer of those shows. And I'm Shelley Zhang, the humor ninja of those shows. Yeah. Official title. Official title. I like it. So we're going to talk uh, just a lot about China, I guess. It'll be the Friday What's Happening with China episode, I suppose. And I think it's it's probably important, too. I'm glad you guys came because before Joe Biden got elected, there were a lot of questions about what we might see under a Biden presidency with policy towards China. Mm-hmm. And you guys were mentioning that some of the people he had in his transition team were very favorable, friendly towards what China had done, what they would do. Probably doesn't uh, sound all that good for us. So we'll, we'll get into all this stuff. Before we do, however, head over to TimCast.com, become a member, because we've got a ton of exclusive members-only posts. When you become a member, you provide that safety net in the event that we get banned, because it's entirely possible we do. We've got, we got a ton of really awesome guests, though. We've got exclusive segments and episodes with people like Ben Stewart, Jack Murphy, Ryan Long, Cassandra Fairbanks. We had James O'Keefe, Sidney Watson, and you can even see this one right here. Look at that. I'm holding up the official Our Pillow prototype. Something I know all of you are very excited for. So make sure you go to TimCast.com, become a member, and don't forget to like, share, subscribe. If you really do like this show and you're listening on iTunes or Spotify, leave us a good review. It really, really does help. Let's talk about this first story. And uh, before we started the show, I asked you guys if you, if, you, if you knew a lot about the gender role stuff, the culture war stuff. And then a concept in the context of China, I think it's really, really fascinating what's happening in Southeast Asia in general. Because I think, Shelly, you mentioned like K-pop and stuff and how they're, they're, you know, kind of worried about it over there. Let me read a little bit from this article from NBC News and then we'll just, we'll talk about it. NBC reports, China proposes teaching masculinity to boys as state is alarmed by changing gender roles. Boys in China traditionally are expected to be strong leaders, get good grades and excel at sports. But the gender balance in China is changing. They say, they start with this, like, I hate when journalists do this out with a story. No one invited Bu Yunhao to be in their group for the annual class trip. The other fifth graders at Shanghai Shangdi Experimental School made fun of the 11-year-old, calling him too girly. Quote, I wanted to run away, right out of the classroom, said Yunhao, now 13 and a first-year middle schooler in Shanghai. Some of his classmates made fun of his high-pitched voice and the way he screamed when he tried to maintain discipline among his fellow students as a class monitor. Others teased him for spending so much time with the girls and said he acted like he was trying to date the other boys in the class. The bullying eventually stopped, but a recent announcement by the government that singles out boys who don't fit traditional Chinese ideas of masculinity has revived the painful memories. 
the plan to, quote, encourage masculinity in male students has inflamed a debate over modern gender roles as China's government increasingly emphasizes what many consider to be outdated and damaging stereotypes for men and boys. I think it's interesting because that that perspective is wholly American. Like in, in America, it's very much I'm reading the story and it's like if that happened now, there would be a, a PSA. They'd bring in bully experts and they'd say, no, 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 it's OK that he's he's effeminate and things like that. But it also reminds me of that commercial that we saw in Ch- uh, out of China a while ago where they put the black man in the washing machine and mm. he comes out as Chinese. People in the United States were outraged. How dare you? You're so racist. People in China laughed and didn't seem to care at all. So I, I wonder what your guys' thought. I don't know whoever wants to jump in about, uh, you know, the, the, the gender roles in China and what you guys think is happening. Well, one thing that jumps to mind is, you know, back in the Cultural Revolution, uh, it was sort of the opposite where they were making an effort to, like, completely eliminate any kind of gender. Like the women had to dress in uh, almost like military attire, very baggy, had to have short haircuts. Uh, any kind of display of femininity was not allowed. And now similar now, I guess, right? Uh, well, I think the women are allowed to be and in, encouraged. And that reminds me of the guy who had a who was found out to have a hundred mistresses. I think he wanted he wanted them to be very feminine. Still, ah. uh, he got executed. By the way, <laughs> well, Jeez, wow. uh, well, that, that escalated quickly. <laughs> it did. Well, I mean, there's also a lot of corruption, so it wasn't just. Yeah, that it, it was also the three metric tons of cash they found in. Oh, uh, okay, okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The okay. I thought it was like a guy who was like, "I want a bunch of women off with his head." No, no, no nice. word on what happened. I believe to the women. it though. Yeah, yeah. I don't yeah. know where the mistresses are. But yeah, Shelley, you made a good point about uh, sort of the influence of South Korea on China. Yeah, I think the thing is that with. The growing like K-pop, K-dramas, like this whole Korean wave coming and like the, there has been kind of more like the, a more effeminate kind of male has been like the, uh, ideal in movies and music and all this stuff. And it's affected China a lot. And in response, the Chinese Communist Party tried to basically have their own like patriotic boy bands and patriotic they they love that yeah and then it's it didn't quite work well but they're trying to like basically use um like chinese culture to fight this like incoming korean like popular culture that they didn't like and then you've also got this so like in chinese the word for like the type of like effeminate like male like these like really pretty young men is called like small soft meat like small tender meat you know so that's uh, so that's become like super hot and then the chinese communist party is like that's not masculine enough meanwhile the chinese communist party is making movies like wolf warrior right like they want like the chinese rambo that's really it's really weird though i mean they're communist and then in the united states the the right criticizes all of this stuff by saying those trying to strip away masculinity are communist right so we had jack murphy on the show recently and he went, uh, he, you know, he, he went on this tirade about Marxism is inherently anti-masculine because they want to get rid of the patriarchy and things like that. But how does that make sense that the Communist Party of China wants strong, burly, masculine men and they're literally the Communist Party? It's, it's like, well, well, there are different different tactics to communism. And in a communist country like China, they want a big, fearsome military that intimidates other countries. Uh China is definitely gearing up for the day they invade Taiwan. They've been very open about wanting to invade Taiwan. They've said this for decades. And so I think this is partially a a response to like creating an image internationally of like this is a fearsome military force that will be able to uh, 
take Taiwan, don't mess with it in the South China Sea. But 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 does this have anything to do with what's happening in the U.S.? Are they responding to what's happening here? I know you guys mentioned Korea, right? Mm -hmm. Isn't isn't a lot of what happens in Korea related to, you know, they want to sell to America. They they like the culture that America exports. They try to adopt certain things like that. Like boy bands weren't invented in in Korea. Yeah, uh, they. I don't, I don't know if they were invented here in America, mind you. I don't know. Well, uh, K-pop, they definitely were obviously inspired by uh, the American music industry, but I think they've been fairly unsuccessful at really penetrating the U.S. market outside of like uh, like Gang, BTS yeah, or like Gangnam yeah. Style. Yeah. Which was, but Sai isn't like a yeah. real. He's not the typical. He's, he's not, not a, BTS, right? He's not a serious. It's like very hokey and silly, and like he's making fun of it, kind of. Yeah, so I, I don't know. You can say that like uh, that Korean style is appealing to the U.S. because it really hasn't done that yet. Yeah, even though there's a lot of good K-pop out. No, there. but I mean, like, are, is Korea trying to be like the U.S. in terms of how pop culture works? Right? They're they're emulating. A lot of countries do this. America has some kind of pop culture phenomenon, and then, you know, they emulate it. I mean, we emulate a bit of the British stuff, too, when we've had various different artists come from the UK. Mm -hmm. I'm just wondering if China's reaction to this and and the things they're doing is countering the United States, right? Like I was saying about the communist thing, they're looking at, are are they looking at the US and being like, we're going to do the opposite of what the US is because the US is bad? How kind of like how tribalism works. I actually think they're kind of trying to do the same thing that the U.S. did, but in, like, the 80s. Like, they want to use, you know, soft power to project, like, the way that, you know, American blue jeans or, I brought up Rambo, right? Like, like U.S. this or Top Gun, like, these type of, like, um, movies that, like, celebrated. They like, love Top Gun yes, in China. <laughs> like, this kind of masculinity, that, that kind of, like power like that appeals to the yeah. communist party because that seems like it's like oh then you have the power to like wolf warrior was about you know these chinese uh soldiers who went to rescue chinese citizens who were you know in africa right so like they were uh you know the, the whole idea was like the motherland will never leave you behind like mm-hmm. it was this like whole like very patriotic yeah it's like you know? 80s yeah. yeah yeah and and the whole idea like the Communist Party uses the propaganda of the century of humiliation constantly. The idea that, you know, foreign forces have humiliated the West. And so China needs to be strong. We need to be strong and fight against uh, the hostile foreign forces. So what do you think the sentiment of, among the Chinese people is, though? I mean, it, it doesn't really sound like the Communist Party is communist. That's a big well, conversation so there. So, you know, there's a lot of elements to communism. And a lot of people think, oh, communism is about... The, the government says, here's what products have to be made and who does what jobs, right? And I think that's, that's true, but that's only at, you know, 5% of what communism is. You know, ultimately communism is about power and control for the communist party. And so they'll use these ideas of creating a utopia on earth and, and, you know, you know how it goes. Uh, it ends up, you know, they, they promise equity, they promise equality, uh, and ultimately, you know, some animals, are a lot more equal than others. Right. That is the leadership of the party. Um, what we see in China is a, there's a lot of capitalism going on in the sense you have a lot of private industry now, and you have in the last 40 plus years since the Geiga Kaifeng, the reform and opening up from uh, started in 1978, huge explosion in private industries. But the reason China is still completely a communist country uh, is number one, the communist party actually controls all those private industries. So, uh, you've got, uh, you know, Alibaba, uh, you know, the, 
uh, Dolly and Wand at the film company. You know, any, any company has to have a Communist Party branch in the company that's even funded by a company. And they're involved in big decisions that are happening in the company. In fact, even foreign companies that go into China, like McDonald's, Ikea, they all have party cells in the country by law. They have to have party cells in the company. Uh, and so there's there's that control of private industry. On top of that, you've got some of the, the biggest industries in China that are directly state-owned enterprises, steel, coal, uh, telecommunications, uh, some of the construction. So so that element is communist. Uh, and then on top of that, you've got the sort of communist uh, legal system, which is that they don't have the kind of legal system we think of here. You've got obviously the rubber stamp Congress, uh, but you also have the way that they rule is not through rule of law. They have, uh, they rule through these mass political campaigns, which is, you know, a whole other topic. But like simply put, you know, Xi Jinping will say something like, you know, we need to improve the quality of public toilets in China. And then like everyone in China has to get involved in like sprucing up these things. And some local officials go nuts and they build these like, you know, million dollar golden toilets, you know, for, for foreigners. Look, look how great we're following this, this policy, this political, but it's a political campaign. You know, private companies have to do it, local officials, and you get promoted based on how well you follow the policy. And even if the policy is, is ludicrous, or even if you take it to an extreme, that doesn't matter because, you know, you're as a local official, you're not accountable to voters, you're accountable only to the higher ups who are giving you your position. So in that sense, it's, it's still completely communist, even though you, it seems to have the elements of capitalism. What, who was it? Michael Bloomberg, who said something about how Xi Jinping has a uh, constituency has to, oh, he, yeah, he he's not that, a dictator, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah he's yeah, not yeah. a dictator. Yeah, right. So, well, so he doesn't, you say he doesn't have voters. Michael Bloomberg disagrees, sort of. I mean, is, is there a possibility that if the people are upset, Xi Jinping will not be in power well let's ask the uyghurs <laughs> <laughs> i don't i don't think that like the, but like there is like there is this you know this whole populism versus the elites thing that's happening yeah. basically all around the world uh in china the communist party is like uniquely positioned to take advantage of it because they're a communist party so they already say you know it's the people's this the people's that but xi jinping has specifically made a, an attempt to be a populist leader within the Communist Party, even. So he'll do things like uh, his anti-corruption campaign, which was really about kind of uh, getting rid of his political enemies. But a lot of it was positioned as like, we're getting rid of like the excessive, like, elite communist members who are just, you know, wasting money and drinking and having mistresses and this kind of stuff. And then he'll be photographed, you know, uh, Take, eating steamed buns at a, like an ordinary restaurant with the common people <laughs> or like, you know, these kind of like very... He's a guy you could have a baijiu with. Yeah, like he's a guy you could ha eat a steamed bun with. It's yeah. like very like Maoist in that way yeah. where it's like man of the people type of propaganda. So he's making a specific play to become the populist leader. I think par probably partly because of the, the power struggle that's going on within the party. Yeah, so yeah. he kind of understands that like having, he needs to have you know, the ordinary people on his side, quote unquote. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's what drove the Cultural Revolution. Mao was kind of on the outs. He used the love of the people, particularly the psychotic young youth, activated them. And then he was 
back in power, basically. So yeah. it's powerful. Do, do regular people in China like, generally speaking, the Communist Party or Xi Jinping? Well, they'll certainly say so publicly. Uh, oh, it's yeah. hard, hard to really know what the opinion is because there there is no forum that they can really actually, – actually, Clubhouse was kind of an interesting example of um, maybe some signs of dissent. Like Clubhouse, uh, there were Mandarin language chat rooms that would like very, very quickly fill up to like their 5,000-person max capacity. And this was like for a very brief window. I think it was only about a week or so the clubhouse no, like less it was a weekend a week. it yeah. was a weekend before like, they shut it down it was just like this little bit of crack where people inside mainland china could have actual uncensored access to the outside world wow and they were talking about xinjiang and the uyghurs and the concentration camps and all this stuff they were hearing from uyghurs they were hearing from people in hong kong and taiwan and so i think that was a that's a sign that people in china are aware on some level that they are being starved of information yeah. and they're going for it. But also people on Clubhouse, like you're talking about, you know, wealthy Chinese people or upper, uh, upper middle class Chinese yeah, not people who have, rural farmers. you know, yes, exactly. Yeah. I mean, yeah. my experience mainly with overseas Chinese people is that they've generally been, uh, seem to be positive towards the communist party. And I think that's a lot, a lot of times because you have a, a very small subset of people that end up making it to the United States. Uh, and the reason they got their wealth so they could come here is actually because they had connections within the party mm. and many of them uh, were party members themselves. And so, so you've got like a very a small and non-representative subset of wealthy or influential overseas Chinese who are saying, we like the communist party or they'll say, Oh, maybe there's a few issues, but basically it's been really good for China. Well, you're talking but, but about the people who have come here within the last like 10 years. The last something. 10 years. Yeah. Right. And, and so, but then you have like, if what you're really talking about is the other 1.3 billion Chinese people, you may have a very different perspective. And I remember, uh, Shelley, when you were talking with blind Chinese uh, rights lawyer Chen Guangcheng about yeah. what was on the ground in China. Yeah, and he talked about how, you know, many people are very fed up with the Chinese Communist Party. They just cannot express it online because they know. I mean, people have been arrested in China for calling Xi Jinping a steam bun, for example. <laughs> or so, Winnie the Pooh, right? Yeah, yeah. So it's not it's not a joke that like people are seriously getting in trouble for what they say online. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's happening here now, just in different ways. I think it's interesting how we've basically just outsourced censorship, very different from what they do. I mean, for them, it's the communist party that dictates the censorship, right? Mm -hmm. Here it's just, Oh, Oh, we, we can't interfere with what the monopoly wants. So now you look at how every, all, all the conversations here are being controlled. It seems like there are, there are parallels, not completely identical, but still similar similarities where people are getting, you know, it's getting worse and worse here. Well, Tim, they're private companies. They have the right to, you know, monitor their own businesses. Don't you support billion-dollar conglomerates like Google? See, that's the issue. It's it's always the the centralized power. If we give all the power to the government, you'll end up with a similar problem. However, we have a Bill of Rights in this country, so there's at least that to protect us in the event that in the U.S. we say, okay, we're going to nationalize or regulate these companies. But you'll still run the risk, no matter what the supreme power is, the, the centralized unified authority no matter what it's what it is it's going to tell you you can't do things it doesn't like yeah. well i mean the foundation of the united states is the idea that absolute power corrupts absolutely so it's a system in place to prevent the elite from getting too much power because what always happens is the people who become elite think they should have more power and have a general disdain for all of us other schlubs yeah but but they know better than us chris shouldn't we let them tell us what to do and what to think 
my problem with the elite is they don't recognize that I should be amongst them. <laughs> yeah, right? That's fair, yeah. Those right. jerks. I know. I have a very high IQ, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> my mom told me. Yes. Yeah, well, to, 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 a, mom. to a certain extent, I mean, the, the Communist Party is just the elite. The people who choose to join it, do, they're doing so because they mm-hmm. know they will get the elite ranks, the privilege, the access. They use, they use the same line that uh, communism has used all along, that there's class struggle. Uh, the world would be a better place if there weren't this group oppressing everyone else. Uh, and so they are the people. And then they uh, kill everyone. They, well, yeah. they, kill, they kill the bad people and then take over. And then obviously since they're the, the good guys, they can do whatever they want. And everyone has to That's right. come over the line. And it's hard when you uh, get into power uh, on the premise that you're fighting those in power because then you don't want people to fight the power when you become the power right well then they just have to to come up with a group to target right so you know you target the students in 1989 and they become the the pariahs and you massacre them there's always some enemy to fight right in the late 90s the enemy was was fallen gong but uh you know they then killed them for their organs and the there was the tibetans which they've been targeting for a long time and well, now uh, that they've run but, out of the Falun Gong yeah. organs, they go to the Uyghur. Yeah. I mean, and actually, you know, we had a guest on our show talking about how, like, there's not a lot of Falun Gong practitioners in China anymore of a certain age group because so many of them have been killed for their organs. And now the Communist Party has just moved on to a new group to get new organs. What do they, what do they use the organs for? Transplants. Uh, for, for transplants. I mean, yeah. I, I think... For, it, like, the people they like? For party well, members? But you or can, people no, can it, pay it, for it's, it. It's commercial. Yeah. It's commercial. I mean, look, a, a human, you know... uh you know, a human heart could be retail for a hundred thousand, hundred and fifty thousand. A set of lungs for hundred thousand dollars. Uh, dollars, yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, so the 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 value of a human life in China is very specific. You know, it's about four hundred and fifty thousand dollars. That's wow. how much a human being is worth on the black market of of organ trade. Well, but not even China, black market because of the point it's that is Chinese state run hospitals. Mm-hmm. And so, like, what's happening with the Uyghurs? Like, we know about the concentration camps. Right, we know about the uh, the how they're treating women and and so on, uh, but the thing that's not reported on very much is uh, in Xinjiang. It is very likely that a lot of those people are being used as sort of a human organ bank, and when uh, there's someone who wants an organ, they find a match from within that concentration camp system, uh, and they will do a speedy match. And there's a lot of, you know, I don't know if you want to go into it, but here, but there's a lot of evidence to suggest that the, they are in fact using Uyghurs for that and it's coordinated by the same system that is doing the labor camp so it's all part of the the party's plan this is not some black market group or whatever doing it it's a fully coordinated effort it's the way that they subsidize their medical system because the government is not paying for it right anymore they're not paying for the medical system what's well, it's, a, it's really. sort of socialized health care but like that's not really a, a very accurate way to describe it because it's very misleading. So, uh, well, this, it's socialized medical care, but it's not very good. But also, like, the, the state isn't really giving it much money. And so it has to support itself through... The hospitals the, are, the, yeah, kind of They need to own. make their yeah. own they money. Need to, they need to, hospitals need to make their own money. And one of the key ways they do that, that is through transplants. So, so, so whenever we hear this argument that, you know, the United States is one of, like, three countries without universal health care or something... China actually doesn't provide that kind of coverage for people. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's they they purport to do so, but the problem is that like, like you can go to a hospital, 
uh, and that'll be provided, but you'll, you'll still have to pay for your own food in the hospital. You have to pay for your own nurses in the hospital. Uh, like there's a lot of things about that system that don't work. You have to buy your own medicine. It also still. depends on who you are and where you are. And what yeah. kind of publicity there is going on. Like during COVID, there was a lot of the, the, the country is paying for the medical care of these people who are getting the coronavirus. Anal swabs for everyone. You know. <laughs> yeah. Okay. That's different. <laughs> I yeah. That was for Americans, out. actually. <laughs> oh, yeah. American, foreigners. Uh, foreigners yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. yep. Yeah. You want to go? <laughs> you want to talk anal swab? Well, I, it's it's funny that you know. Look, we can talk about China China anal swabbing American diplomats or whatever, but we are talking about organ harvesting, which is like a little bit worse, I would say. It's just a little like, worse. Just yeah. a little bit, huh? Yeah, yeah. More yeah. like a lot of it worse. But but that system, the organ harvesting system, has been going on for a long time, and as I understand it, it really ramped up uh, in the early two thousands because uh, they had all these Falun Gong in prison, and so they're like, well. What are we going to do with all these people? And they're super healthy because they've been doing qigong. So wow, like, you got you got healthy people. They don't drink or smoke. They're in good physical shape. Perfect. Perfect. Yeah. Yeah. Ideally, you want them to be like twenty eight. And and they they just we're talking just billions of dollars. I mean, this is really about money. You see and, that China did ramp up the construction of uh, specialty hospitals designed specifically for organ transplants, and this is at a time when there is no organ donation system in the country. Wow. Yeah, like the, the, so. there's for a lot of cultural reasons and whatever like maybe in China all across China like a few hundred people or at most a couple thousand people are like volunteers like organ donors and the system isn't even really functional in most parts of China. So the vast majority of organ transplants are from non-voluntary donors. And there's they're not even executing enough convicted criminals to account for the tens of thousands of transplants that are happening every year. And so like these organs have to come from somewhere. And the, the reality is almost certainly that they're coming from uh, one or more repressed groups. Falun Gong, probably the biggest, uh, maybe Uyghurs, now Uyghurs, because uh, there's not a, enough Falun Gong uh, organs left. Uh, you know, to some degree, Tibetans and house Christians, I think. You mentioned that the, the Falun Gong are, are healthier, is that is that similar for the the Uyghur Muslims? They don't drink things like that. With uh, the Uyghurs, it seems like there is a specific. Uh, they they call it halal organ harvesting right. for for tourism. the customers in the Middle East. Right. Yeah, there seems to be a, a specific desire for that in those communities because they don't eat pork. They they're they, they don't drink halal. Right, and and so that so that's why there's advertising for medical transplant tourism in the Middle East to come to China, and there's even at the uh, the airport in. Urumqi, which is the main city in, in Xinjiang, a sort of like fast track organ line. You can, you can Google it and find photos of this just like to, to speed up anyone who, who's boarding a plane who's carrying organs. Uh, so they're attracting Middle Eastern customers who are, they're very ethical customers who only want halal organs from Muslims. Ethical? Very ethical because they, they want the halal organs. Yeah, but no, then they're like, perfect harvest the organs of this innocent Muslim as well. It's unclear it, it, if the people getting the organs, how much they know. There's a certain degree of willingness. Willing I don't know. I don't want to know. Yeah, yeah, like it is not possible to order an organ. You, you can't schedule it two weeks yeah. in advance, except in China you can, though. Wait, wait, wait. You, no, China, you, you can schedule? You schedule yeah. it on a day, typically like, about two like, weeks, yeah. Have you guys ever seen the movie The Island with... Um, <laughs> yeah. Who, who was in it? Was it... Um, Leonardo DiCaprio? No, no, no. no, no, no. It was Ewan no, no, McGregor and Charlie Johnson. Yeah, yeah. And they're basically, they're clones so that when when their non-clone counterpart in the real world needs an organ, they harvest the clone. Yeah. 
So it's like you could order as a wealthy person be like, I'm going to need that, you know, heart in, in a few months. And they would be like, okay. And they would start prepping the, the clone for, for, for harvest. Yeah. I, I wonder, you know, I'm not a Muslim, but I wonder what the actual scripture says or the teachings would say about being a Muslim and then going and then having a country that is subjugating Muslims, taking their organs. And then you as a Muslim are like, I'll take that organ. I can't imagine that's right in like uh, in their religion you know what i mean yeah I, but people within the same religions have been killing each other for centuries so i mean there's always that but i i think that the 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 people who are going to get the organs i think they typically aren't thinking about the source they don't want to think about the source uh and no one is helping them think about the source and so it's just like oh i'm just going and getting a transplant and that's that from a voluntary donor. That is right. what they will be told. Yeah, they, they will be told it. And like, yeah. and they, they might have like their suspicions, heart. but they don't want to think like, you don't want to let your mind go down that path. Yeah. Right. I guess when when people are faced with death and they need an organ, they'll they'll believe whatever they have to believe to justify their existence. I mean, but like also the Western, you know, medical system is supporting this. Uh, and they don't have the excuse of the fact that there's they're facing life and death because the transplantation society has willfully not looked into this and have been like uh like we don't see anything wrong happening in china and you know there's been a lot of brouhaha over china has done a lot of cutting edge organ transplants uh, like cutting edge oh uh, well yeah organ transplant uh research a lot of like the bleeding new, edge research yeah <laughs> bleeding edge research. so it's like you know the, a lot of the new drugs that are coming out that make like taking organs out of people like easier like letting the organs survive longer outside the body wow. these things are all coming from china uh in the last decade or so and it's because they're doing all of these transplants yeah. and you know it's, it's it's like a society that doesn't care at all about the individual that's pretty accurate yeah now that sums it up uh yeah and unfortunately china is uh trying to draw medical and scientific talent from around the world because uh, they have access to a lot of funding, state-backed funding, and there's often not the kind of moral restrictions holding them back. Like in the U.S., for better or for worse, you have all kinds of restrictions, like the stem cell research is a huge issue. None of those kind of moral dilemmas ever hold back the Chinese Communist Party. So like Shelley was saying, they're able to make these breakthroughs in organ transplant technology because they have willing... Live don't, uh, test experiment. Willing. Yeah, willing. Uh, yeah, the Communist Party is willing to sacrifice them for the good of the <laughs> yeah. party. Yeah. There was the guy who yeah. was talking about head transplants and how he had practiced it several times on. Oh, him. yeah. Yeah. Head okay. transplant. But they can't yeah. connect nerves or anything like that. He was saying he was getting real close to being able to do that. Wow. Which is he was, he was failing each time. But. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my Jeez, God. Yeah. Uh, yeah the so heck? there's definitely a lot of really ghoulish things probably happening within the what, medical what, system of what about americans if a rich american went there had money would they be alike whatever you say sir right away oh, here's your kidney good sir i'm sure in principle i like i have no specific uh there are some countries that. that have outlawed organ tourism to mm. china because like israel was one of the first countries to do it actually uh south korea has now taiwan has i think these mm -hmm. are there was a lot of tourism coming from like south korea and taiwan you know wow. asia so like when but once like this started to become known and then like doctors in those regions started speaking up and being like we should not do this 
Uh, yes. But like, it's still a very under the radar issue in general. Has the world always been this way? Or are we just in every possible conceivable iteration of a dystopian nightmare? Book burning, censorship, zealotry, communism, organ harvesting, organ tourism. It's like all of these stories, not just here in the US, but around the world. And it's like, it's like every single nightmarish dystopian novel has come into existence at the exact same time or around the same time. It does make you think like it's always been this way. Well, it's it's it just shows like an inability for people as a whole to really stand up to these kinds of things or in very, very often what happens is they get manipulated by those in charge to go along with these kinds of things, to go along with the censorship, yeah. the book burning, the killing of, you know, the group, the bad group that's hurting society. It's very easy to be manipulated. I guess. That's, the, that's the crazy thing, too, about like in, in the U.S., not to derail too much off of uh, China's uh, internal problems, but, you know, they claimed Trump was demonizing migrants and Muslims. Well, they were demonizing American citizens. You know, that, that, so we, we, we do see regardless of which faction is trying to gain power, demagoguery and attacking a specific group oh. seems to be the, the strong path to power. Well, it's, it's since you mentioned that, like Xi Jinping recently said the, the U.S. is the biggest threat to China's development. And imagine if Biden said that about China or any U.S. official. <laughs> I mean, I think Trump said things similar to that, right? He got a little close. But Biden's going to be like, come on, man, you know, China, is, they're helping us out. They're good people, you know? He's a master diplomat. Yeah? <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> Indeed, yes. Well, so let, let, me, let me pull this story up here, and then we'll, we'll talk about uh, U.S. and China. Axios reports Americans increasingly see China as an enemy. Overall, 55% view America as a competitor. So you were right earlier. I was wrong. You mentioned it was about 34% viewed as an enemy. Among Republicans, 53% view China as an enemy. And only 20% of Democrats, but it's about a third of Americans see China as an enemy. Perhaps not, uh, not enough for any real conflict, but at least in that regard, with China now demonizing the United States, I wonder if this is a step towards a potential military conflict. I don't know where you guys, you, you, your views are right now between that, that scenario happening. Well, so for, for a point of context, um, the situation in Hong Kong, uh, the Chinese Communist Party has been very successful at uh, completely annihilating any trace of democracy in Hong Kong. Uh, once Hong Kong is taken care of to the Communist Party's satisfaction, the next goal is Taiwan. And that is something that will draw in the entire world. The U.S. has made obligations to uh, defend Taiwan in the event of any kind of uh, invasion. Um and Taiwan is a very strategic location in the region. So sooner or later, we are going to see Taiwan become a flashpoint. Uh, but it is, doesn't Biden, assume... is Biden going to actually protect Taiwan? Uh, well, I, uh, I don't know. Uh, I mean, I'd say he, no. he, well, he, so he was the, the first president to have, uh, essentially what the, is the Taiwanese ambassador. It's not, they're not called an ambassador because of the one China, whatever. Yeah. Uh, but he was the first president to have this Taiwanese representative come to the inauguration. He yeah. has carried on uh, freedom of navigation operations in the South China Sea and in the Taiwan Strait. Uh, so he's done all of those things. We just, he hasn't explained what his China policy is. So in many ways, the, the Biden administration has said many of the right things, but they haven't done much yet 
Yeah. And it is six uh, weeks in. Six weeks. It. Right, right, right. And even the Trump administration, it took it took a while for that administration's China policy to kind of crystallize um, for I, a variety of reasons. You know, looking at the uh, U.S. migrant crisis that's happening right now, and, and not, I'm not assuming you guys know a lot about it, but mm. Joe Biden is getting a lot of criticism from the left and the right. It's it's typically being seen as a dramatic failure by all, by both political parties. Obviously, there are establishment Democrats who are supportive of Joe Biden. Republican Party, Trump populist types, they're super critical and left populists are looking at Joe Biden as though he's failing miserably in this regard because he's not really getting anything done. He's not helping the migrants in a capacity where they'll be able to come in here and get health care and get access. Well, they're kind of coming in and being released. It's not all that great. Some are being deported, but then the Trump supporters see it as he's not doing anything to stop it. I only bring that up because I have to wonder if that's something that we really can see and understand as Americans. We we understand the border. We understand the arguments made around it. Mm. Is that a sign of Joe Biden's leadership on other issues as well, which may you know reflect on what could happen with China? Well, I think from things that have been said, and again, this is things that have been said and not done. They talk about uh, diplomacy cooperating with China. Uh, China might be a rival or a competitor, but you know we need to cooperate with them on climate change, et cetera, et cetera. But the fundamental issue is when you look at the Chinese Communist Party as a regime that is committing genocide and that, as we can see in the case of Hong Kong, lies about any promise it makes, how can you cooperate? How can you be diplomatic with this kind of monstrous authoritarian regime? So it blows the fundamental premise of what he's said yeah, out of the water. I think the danger for the U.S. and the Biden administration here is that they are going to want to differentiate themselves so much from the Trump administration Ugh. that like they they have to be like well we are going to be diplomats we're going to talk uh-huh. about diplomacy we're going to talk about cooperation this whole line about China being a rival but we have to still cooperate on shared goals is one that's consistently been said by like every Biden nominee that's gone up in front of like Senate hearings or whatever so you have to say this is the line from the Biden administration the problem is that's not what the Chinese Communist Party means by cooperate the, the word in Chinese, it just kind of means like exchange in mm-hmm. any way. So it could be just like, you know, the cooperation doesn't it doesn't mean like we're going to both work together on climate change. It means if you want me to do something about climate change. Uh, yeah. What are you going to give up? Like, what are you going to give me? I don't think to they're going to do anything. Happen? I think I think it's uh, duplicitousness. Oh, yeah. They're, they're going to say, don't worry, America, we got you. You, you give us the billion dollars and then we'll get right on it. Thanks yeah. to the billion, and then they're what billion dollars? Well, the promise was in four decades we'll be carbon neutral. Yeah, or like now they're, they're, they're building they're, more right. coal-fired exactly. power plants. Yeah. yeah, right. I mean, we, we've seen we've seen challenges with cooperating with the Chinese Communist Party in the past. If you look at the George W. Bush administration, uh, they initially took a, a tough stance on the Communist Party, but after nine eleven, they're like, well, we have to work with the Communist Party on fighting the biggest threat, which at the time was terrorism. And so the idea is we're going to work with China to fight global terrorism. And what did China do? They didn't cooperate towards America's goals on fighting terrorism. They basically used it as an excuse to go after their Chinese Muslims, like the Uyghurs, right? Uh, the Obama administration then said, oh, we have to cooperate with China on climate change. And, you know, what, what happened? Well, China signed, you know, the Paris uh, Agreement. But, but ultimately, what did China actually do was build a huge number of coal-fired power plants, releasing massive amounts of carbon. They ramped up their carbon emissions uh, while using the excuse of being a developing comp- uh, country. But on top of that, they also stole 
the renewable energy technology from U.S. companies, wind, power technology, and solar technology. And now if you want to buy a solar panel uh, in America, you're basically buying one that's made in China from knocked off <laughs> American technology. No. And that's how the Communist Party cooperates on climate change. That is well, also, you're, 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 it's also uh, powered by coal. Right, right. So well, when they build well, the, hold yeah. on, you, you know, you're, you're you're ragging on China coming down real hard over the the burning of this carbon and all that stuff. But they did build that big TV thing, right? That showed the sunrise. Oh, so, I know that picture. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's all the smog in the air. You got to give them credit for at least giving people a glimmer of hope, right? It can't just be a dreary post-apocalyptic smog waste. Xi Jinping promised he's going to transform China into a moderately prosperous society. Mm-hmm. So goals. I I got I got I got to say I think uh, I I feel like the U.S. has already lost. You know, I think we're we're in a propaganda war, an information war, an economic war, and we are I, I don't think the physical confrontation matters as much. If it comes to a point where Taiwan knows the US has become too weak to actually defend it, and their option is allow China to come in or die, I mean I feel like they might just be like, Well, we've got no defense anymore, we've got no leverage, that's it, we're China now. It's it's hard to say because they know what what it would mean for Taiwan is they become the next Hong Kong. And Hong Kong is looking more and more a little less like Shanghai and a little more like Xinjiang. That was a point you made the other day where it's it's very. What does that mean? <laughs> it means like it's basically like when the Chinese Communist Party is turning Hong Kong into another Chinese city. They're not turning it into like Shanghai or Beijing, like one of their showpiece oh, cities. Right. They're turning it into Xinjiang, which is basically an open air prison. Right. Like there was like all the crackdowns in Hong Kong now, like they're basically going to uh essentially strip out all the democracy that existed like no more being able to vote for people uh in the legislature like it's just they're they're completely dismantling it and there was maybe a bill that's going to come up in front of the legislature that is now completely controlled by pro beijing officials uh that would allow the hong kong government to stop people from leaving hong kong wow like so that then it really does become like a giant prison and there is no prominent hong kong activist that is they're all either in jail or in exile at this point yeah, and a lot of people we had interviewed in hong kong just a year and a half ago are in jail now wow yeah so really what happens in taiwan will determine whatever happens for the next but i mean you look at years. you look at these these american companies that's why i say it that well, who was it lebron james who came out and defended China. And then you had, was it Steve Kerr? I think it was. Well, we don't talk about Black Lives Matter. Well, you know, or they don't talk about Black. So we're not going to talk about what's going on over there. And it's like, dude, they're, they're concentration camps. Like, it's a, it's a big difference. You got, and the NBA has a training camp in Xinjiang. Yeah. And Disney thanked. Yeah, we talked I mean, about they, that. They, they, yeah. All these yeah. industries, they make so much more money there. You got you to look at who, who owns these big companies and, and their access to wealth. American companies... I, I shouldn't even call them American companies necessarily. They're multinational corporations at this point. And the people in charge of them are like, I'm rich. I can do whatever I want and no one will stop me. Why would I care about anybody else? I mean, BlackRock has this whole webpage about unleashing the potential of Chinese bonds. Like, yeah. But what does that mean? It means like invest your money in China. Yeah. Pump up the regime. Yeah. You'll invest your money in China. You'll get back a good return. And you will sell out everyone else into serfdom or slave labor. If China takes Taiwan, uh, China becomes a superpower. It's no longer the U.S. is more powerful. It's it would be a tremendous loss for is, democracy worldwide. Yeah, this is what uh, Xi Jinping was saying about the you know West is in decline, the East is rising. 
You know, I mean, it's yeah. true. Yeah. So that's uh, that's. But at the same time, saying that the U.S. is the biggest threat to China. Yeah. So, um, More like the U.S. is the dominant power around the world and it's who needs to be displaced if China has to take over. What about the EU? They'll stand up. Uh, my, my understanding is that the goal of the European Union was to compete with China because they saw, you know, how quickly it was rising and they needed they, some kind of united force. They're not succeeding at that. If no, that they're not. Yeah. That, that's yep. uh, and that has to do with uh, the, the, the manufacturing and corporate power of Germany in particular uh, being very interested in developing relationships with China. Angela Merkel has been very supportive of that. Uh, and they Volkswagen went into China in like 1978 or 79, like the first Western company to go into China. Volkswagen has a bad history. <laughs> well, all of these companies that go into China, they 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 create a Chinese communist division within the company yes. for the Communist yeah. Party. So, so if, if you yeah. have 50 or more employees, then you're required by Chinese law to have a party branch within your company. And this applies not just to Chinese companies, but also to foreign companies. Foreign companies also have to work with a Chinese company by yeah. law. So, so yeah, they, they need a partner. Uh, and until recently, it had to be a majority uh, partner, 51% majority. Uh, and so essentially, the, the foreign company can operate, but there are certain things that they can and can't do according to the party whims. And the party is is in there with every major decision. So, yeah, like... McDonald's having a party branch in China does like it's hard to understand like what that would really mean. But when it comes to like Volkswagen, so their party branch is going to help arrange things like uh cheap labor for example, or Nike, you know, will have a party branch and and, may, and maybe there's there's certain political things that Nike can't say and there's also possibly the help that they give for you know you get very cheap labor from uh from Uyghurs who don't have much choice. Well, this is why Nike was fighting against a uh, forced labor bill that would have potentially gotten them in trouble for using forced labor in Xinjiang. Not that uh, they were directly using it, but because of the web of how many of like, you know, you source something from this person who sorts something from this company down the line. And then somewhere along the line, there's Uyghur slave labor. I mean, it was so easy and cheap. So they decided to just do it. It's not just Uyghur slave labor. There's a lot of prison like labor. It. Like there's just like a lot of, uh, you know kind of dissident prison labor. It's not just the Uyghurs. It's just that the Uyghurs are the biggest population. Right. Of, it's a very you know, visible in yeah. a way. Because they're, like, they're an ethnic minority, so you can kind of tell who they are. In one region, right. too. Versus just like, well, like, so the issue with Falun Gong was they were just anybody. They're just people who do, do the Qigong practice. And so they blended in. They weren't like in one location. So you couldn't like see like, oh, this is this specific concentration camp where they're putting them. Right. So... This sounds horrible. Yeah. <laughs> we we do not want the Chinese Communist Party as a superpower leading the world. I don't think we can do anything. I think it, I, 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 is it pessimistic to say it's over? What do you guys think? Uh, I think it is pessimistic. Uh, there has been, you know, we all know the Trump administration was a bit controversial. China was one of the few bipartisan issues. Um, I, I, I would imagine the Biden administration said that's reviewing the Trump administration designation of what's happening to the Uyghurs as genocide. I can't imagine it would be politically feasible for Biden to come out and say, well, you know, it, maybe it isn't genocide. I just can't imagine that what happening. He came out and said, well, you know, there are cultural differences in China. And what, what he said was wrong for many reasons. Not quite that. He, he has been clear about uh, condemning 
uh, what the treatment of the of the Uyghurs? He, he, I don't think he'll use the word genocide personally. Not yet. Yeah, yeah because so. like it's just like how the Canadian Parliament recently voted that it was genocide, right. but Trudeau and his entire cabinet basically just didn't show up for the vote. Yeah, because they were like the government abstains. Like, I, I can, I can, I can actually understand and respect why Joe Biden would not do that mm-hmm. because he needs to go in and be able to have some kind of relationship to actually have influence in a certain capacity. However, while I can understand that, and same is true for Trump when he would go and negotiate, like, why is he talking to Kim Jong Un or whatever? Like, well, mm-hmm. what is he going to do? Throw a bomb first? It's at a certain point, there's a line. We got to figure out how, how we stop these things. I mean, the, the the gulags in in North Korea are nightmarish, and the and the and the genocide uh, the, the genocide and the concentration camps in, in in China are probably the worst possible thing you know we could imagine existing in terms of what a human could do to another human. How do we stop it? If we don't have a president who's willing to say that's the line, the line is shouldn't the line for for I don't care if it's Trump or Biden be literal genocide. He it should say be. it. Shouldn't Trudeau say it? Well. As you say, that's it prevents them from having any kind of diplomacy, quote unquote. Yeah, but but at, at the the, the way I see it is when you when you enter into genocide, yeah, is diplomacy really soft exactly. diplomacy? I mean, you can still have diplomacy to a certain degree. You could have I'm going you know we're we're sanctioning you, we're making demands, you end this now or else because this is a red line. But mm-hmm. we we have these we we have Trudeau and Biden who are like, well, now hold on there, you know. Yeah, you need to have red lines that there are consequences for crossing those red lines. And I think well, we had all the red lines with Syria. Mm. Yeah. Well, I think yeah. with the genocide, this is why genocide is such a touchy issue. It's if Western democracies and now the Dutch parliament has come out and also called it a genocide. If they actually start using the word genocide, then it becomes a lot harder for not just like leaders of countries to just act like China's normal country, but also, you know, Wall Street for businesses, because really the thing that we can do to stop China is to cut off the money. Yeah. That number is the one. number They won't one do thing. it. Yeah. You have all these special interests. Like, I, like we mentioned the NBA, you had Blizzard, the Hearthstone thing with Free Hong Kong. Yeah. Well, that's Free Hong Kong's long since passed, I suppose. They were, they, there's, there's an opportunity each and every step of the way for companies to say no to China. And they don't do it. No. I think that's where it has to be like when we were talking about how people now see more and more people see China as an enemy or like, a, like some kind of threat, like it has to be people who, it has to be so bad for these companies in the U S uh, to not cut off that source of money in China or whatever, that they are willing to do it. Like if, if the, if the alternative is that they really like with Google and Dragonfly, like it's such a bad thing for them that they actually have to stop. Like that's that's where we have to go. That was a employee revolt, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Employees at Google said no to the you know Dragonfly. Dragonfly was that, was, that yeah. Was, yeah. And, yeah, and good on them. And I wish employees at at Nike and the NBA would. I mean, if if you had you know if you had a, a bunch of NBA star like real stars who said you know uh, we got to condemn what's happening there, then there, there there'd be enough public pressure that they're they're. Couldn't be much the NBA would do. LeBron but, James needs to call out genocide. Right. And, and you know, it's it's fine. To, like, I have no problem with, with basketball players using their fame to talk about political issues in the U.S. What's happening in China uh, is so bad that, like, if you even talk about it in China, you get arrested. Uh, so, you know, you can't criticize your own government inside China. It's a very different situation. But I think the, the overall looking at um, 
why is the Chinese Communist Party so powerful and how have they gotten so much power in the last 20 years? It's all because of foreign investment. It's partly just the money directly, like investing in Chinese bonds, investing in Chinese companies and that sort of thing. But it's also the foreign companies coming in, giving their technology, allowing Chinese companies to learn from and, and even steal a lot of this technology and outcompete these industries. And then it's us buying those knockoff products back here in the U.S. So that whole economic system is the, the fundamental core of that is foreign companies, especially U.S. companies, engaging in that market. So to, to the degree that you can cut off the, the foreign company or American company interaction with China, that's the degree to which we're going to be able to rein in that authoritarian power. And we have to focus there. But it's, it's clear that even, you know, even the Trump administration, which, which seemed to really want to do it was, was unable to achieve a whole lot with that. Um, well, it's going to take a lot, a lot more Google dragonfly situations where people working here who have that power as employees, the empower as citizens and as media to say, we're not going to tolerate our companies working with a genocide dictatorship. Also, you know, consumers not buying products made in China. Like, Don't it has go to, to an NBA game. Yeah, like it has to. Yeah. The other thing that the, the U.S. government could do was what the Trump administration started doing, like actually putting Chinese companies that work with the Chinese military on entity lists, like blacklisting them. So Getting them delisted from the stock exchanges. Yeah, so soon but, there are going to be a big bunch of big Chinese companies that can't trade on Wall Street anymore. But is Joe Biden going to keep those policies going? Don't know. We don't know. He hasn't said. I kind of feel like he's uh, he wouldn't do that. Like, like you mentioned before, you know, he's going to try and differentiate himself from the Trump administration. So already, you know, we had this, uh, uh, this Trump put in this executive order about keeping China out, Chinese made, you know, equipment out of the US, US electrical grid. And then Joe Biden's like, we're going to freeze that rule. So it's no longer in effect and review it. And I'm like, if you want to review the rule, wouldn't you leave the, the, the restrictions in place? Why would Joe Biden just say, okay, yeah, China come back into the U.S. electrical grid? I think it's a, a little unclear what happened. And like he could potentially be using that for his advantage. But there was sort of a blanket freeze on a lot of last minute uh, right. policies by Trump, which I think is in general pretty common for an incoming president to do. Uh, and the issue is with Biden, like, so that could be I'm, I'm so fine. He's he's frozen those. He reviews them. The issue with the Biden administration is it comes under this cloud of uh, Biden personally and a lot of the people he's appointed to his cabinet, their past failures with China policy, uh, scandals like Hunter Biden, putting this cloud over Biden that gives him the appearance of like you should not be questioning if the U.S. president is really going to condemn gen genocide. Yeah, and we are. And the other thing, too, is I think it's fascinating how. They say that, you know, Donald Trump was the Manchurian candidate for Russia or whatever, that he was a Russian asset, he was a puppet or, 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 or you know, and all that stuff. And now we actually have this circumstance where, you know, we're, we're six weeks out and Joe Biden has not given an address to the joint session of Congress. You'd have to go back to Jimmy Carter in 1977 for the, for the last time it took this long. Now, he was into April, so maybe Joe Biden will still beat Jimmy Carter and, and give some kind of speech, but he's not given a press conference in, in, in the, in the entirety of his, his six weeks. So already things seem to be un, a bit unprecedented. And then we had that scenario where he was giving, uh, uh he was talking to the Democratic uh, caucus and then he says, I'll take questions. And the camera shuts off. The feed ends. 
Now, many people on the right said as soon as Joe Biden offered to take questions, they turned the camera off. And the response from the journalists was he took the questions off camera. You're misunderstanding. You're confused. And my response is, why? Why was he doing the session live and then took the the questions off camera? That's a ridiculous excuse. Because either way, the American people deserve to see what our politicians are asking the president and what he is saying to them. When I saw that, you know, I was sitting here with Jack Murphy and he was Jack was just like Manchurian candidate, like Mm -hmm. not literally just like kind of joking, like what's going on to where the president of the United States isn't doing press conferences, isn't giving a joint uh, 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 an address to the joint session of Congress. And then he can't even answer questions on a live stream. Who is he? What's he doing? And then you, you tie that into the Hunter Biden stuff flying his son in Air Force Two to China for that private equity deal. And then am I supposed to trust that this president has our best interest at heart as we're entering either the Strauss, uh, Strauss-Howe generational theory winter or Thucydides' trap? There, there's academics who are, who, are, who are telling us we're in for some serious trouble and we're looking at genocide and we're looking at organ harvesting and we're looking at Hong Kong falling. Now we're looking at Taiwan. It looks like China is getting away with every single thing they've done wrong. And we're doing nothing about it, but say what? Maybe some sanctions here and there? Well, I think that 2020 was actually a banner year for the Chinese Communist Party. It didn't start out that way. It looked like the world was going to turn against them after the coronavirus. It's amazing they, they turned they that. They turned out that completely around. And now they're using that as propaganda for like how well that their system is doing compared to everybody else. More reason to cooperate with yes. China. And I think that like one, the one thing, the Biden administration recently came out with their interim national security policy. And reading that, I was actually pretty worried about how they were going to re- like deal with China because it seemed to kind of revert back to like an Obama administration era of like the whole thing that we were talking about before about like we need to cooperate still. Um, the Trump administration specifically in their national security policy called out the Chinese Communist Party and said, you know, it's a Marxist-Leninist organization, said, we we are going to treat this the way that the Chinese Communist Party treats this, which is, they said that, that, that they are in a great power competition with the U.S. So fine, we acknowledge that, you know, China says that we're in a great power competition with them. And the Biden administration seems to have gone back to that like, oh, you know, we disagree, we're economic rivals, we're competitors, but we can work together on some things. And then the other part of the national security policy that I found kind of a little bit alarming is the fact that they seem to want to blur the line between foreign policy and domestic policy. Like there's a specific part where they talk about how, you know, we can't just have foreign policy and domestic policy be separate. We have to, you know, if we really want to have effective foreign policy, we have to fix our own internal problems. So then yeah. that brought up like systemic racism and equity and all this stuff. So it seems like if that's what they want to focus on, they're going to be too focused on like internal things and this ideological battle and not focused enough on the genuine threat that the Chinese Communist Party is. Which yeah. is strange because the executive branch, their main thing is to deal with foreign policy. Domestic policy is supposed to be the legislative yeah. branch. Well, here we are with... Uh, Every single uh, line item of China violating some kind of human rights, civil rights, stealing, destroying. We're buying back our own technology that was stolen from us and then cheaply knocked off. And the and built by slaves. Built by slaves, and they just keep doing it, and we just keep you know doting along, accepting it. I will say, I, I posted a, a meme though that was that was uh, made everybody angry. It was on, I think it was on the twentieth. I said. Uh, 
the peaceful transition of power from the previous administration to the new administration is complete. And it was a picture of Vladimir Putin and then Xi Jinping. Mm-hmm. And I was like, there you go. Whatever your political ideology is, you know, the left viewed Trump as this like beholden guy to Russia. But Russia wasn't really doing all that much. I mean, sure, there's conflict over pipelines and, you know, Ukraine and things like that. Syria, perhaps. But what's happening with China really does seem to be. It could be theoretically the catalyst for some very serious major war if we're not already in the peak of it, which is information war. But, you know, that's why I have to wonder about the things we see in America in the culture war. Is it really in the best interest of either America or China to engage in a hot war with missiles and bullets? Probably not. It never is for anybody. It's very expensive. And then you have to hope you're going to win. But information war, it's, it's more surreptitious. It's aversive. So I wonder, you know, to what extent China is is influencing our social media and manipulating us much the way they accused the Russians of doing it. I don't know if you guys have seen anything that would suggest those kind of operations. I think it's a little different. Actually, what China's really been manipulating very successfully is an American elites. And it's almost like they don't have to do the kind of awkward like Twitter thing, right, where they're like having dummy accounts on Twitter and trying to influence people on Facebook. Like the Chinese Communist Party is much better at this than I mean, Russia. They just tweeted out Right. Like the, the, the members of the Chinese Communist Party are like tweeting really offensive things yeah. like they have the picture of the Australian soldier or whatever. Mm-hmm. They just it's 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 uh, reminds me of that Simpson Simpsons bit. I don't know if you guys have ever seen the episode where Bart joins a boy band that's subliminally trying to get people to join the Navy. And the, our, the Navy recruiter tells Lisa, we we recruit by the subliminal, the liminal and the super liminal. And Lisa goes super liminal. And he goes, yeah. And he opens the window and goes, hey, you join the Navy. And then Lenny and Carl are like, okay. So, so that, that's kind of what I feel like when I see these like high rank, you know, these like, you know, uh, officials in the Communist Party or like Chinese government officials, blue check mark on Twitter, tweeting some ridiculous, absurd conspiracy theory about the election or the president. And it's allowed. They're allowed. They're allowed to do it. I'm like, there it is. That's the, that's the super liminal right in your face. We're lying and we can do whatever we want. We don't need bots. I, well, so a good example of this is, um, how China manipulates language. Man, I'm going to pass that off to you in just a second. But like just like one example of how Chinese propaganda seeps into uh, American discourse is going back to the Biden town hall, how he was talking about how China, you know, China had the century of humiliation. They need they need to have the strong centralized core. That's Communist Party propaganda that's being parroted. <laughs> By, by the president? By the president. Jeez. And that's not like, that's not saying, he's not unique in that. It's because the Communist Party is very good at uh, taking language and changing the meaning of it. Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's not just just that, which I get to in a, in a minute, but the... the You'll over- circle back to that. Yeah, the... the, the <laughs> I'm the, paying the, attention. The, the overall idea is like, you know, you, Tim, you talk about the, the overt stuff. Uh, the superliminal we're yeah. seeing on Twitter, which is the propaganda from the Chinese foreign minister. But the the real way that we're seeing that influence is actually through what's called elite capture, uh, which is the Chinese Communist Party convincing influential people around the world, including American politicians, American business leaders, American academics. These are the, the and and journalists. These are the thought leaders in American society, and the Communist Party is is influencing them. And now these groups, the, the politicians, the business leaders, the media, are, uh, are all the cheerleaders for the Communist Party. And it may not be so obvious that they're saying rah, 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 communism, because they're not saying it that way. What they're saying is like, well, look at uh, 
you know, China's lifted millions of people out of poverty. Uh, you know, China, uh, you know, China's a, com a competitor, but we need to work with them. And they've gotten people to, to parrot these lines, which on the surface seem reasonable, but actually they're exactly what the Communist Party wants. And they do that through a variety of influence campaigns to get these people on their side. The challenge is, like, when we hear, um, you know, whether it's, uh, you know, Bernie Sanders saying, oh, you know, but, you know, China, I don't like authoritarianism, but China has lifted 700 million people out of poverty, right? Well, it, it's, that's the propaganda line that's making you think, well, maybe they do have some elements to their system that work. Because look how many people they've lifted out of poverty. And it is true that since 1978, hundreds of millions of people in China have gotten out of poverty. But it's not the Communist Party that lifted them out of poverty. It was the Communist Party that put them in poverty in the first place. Ah, yeah. Right? But then how did they get out of poverty? It wasn't government policy. It was, it was actually the reform and opening up. The Gaiga Kaifeng started by Deng Xiaoping in 78. And these policies gradually took the boot off of people's necks so that they could, you know, have businesses and, and start their own uh, enterprises in the free market. And people lifted themselves out of poverty. And for it's, investment. It's, it's, it's kind of like when it's, you know, in the summer and it's really hot. And you're really sweaty, so you go under the blanket for a few seconds, mm -hmm. and then you get really hot. When you take the blanket off, it feels really cool and refreshing for a little <laughs> bit. Yeah, so, so, so maybe what we should do in the U.S. is have this uh, extended lockdown where we destroy everyone's business for maybe like a year. And then after about you know a two years, because you know Biden's saying next year is normal, then we can be like, look at all of the people the Biden administration has lifted out of poverty. He's a, he's a tremendous start, leader. Starting with the bankers. Yes. Which, I mean, oh, they came in real quick to save those folks. Uh, and, you know, I mean, there's nothing, I'm not saying there's anything, you know, necessarily wrong about trying to keep the stock market from having a complete crash. But uh, definitely uh, there's some shortcomings in terms of the overall response. But anyway, to, 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 to get to the point about like, uh, you know, you've, got, you've got the Communist Party getting people to repeat these lines. But the problem is, you know, when... When you hear this, you know, lifting millions of people out of poverty, you also have to realize like, like that China now says, for example, uh, you know, being out of poverty is a human right, right? It's the, it's the top it's, human it's, right. It's, it's, the, yeah, it's the main it, human sounds right. Like Bernie it's, Sanders. it's the main human right. And, and so like a lot of people on the surface, they think, oh, well, like, yeah, like, like it's so bad to be in this abject poverty. Like maybe, maybe it is a human right to, to have money. And, you know, you can agree or disagree on that, but that's not the point. The point is that now, you know, you've added, uh, the Communist Party has added economic prosperity as a human right. Uh, and they've gotten a lot of people to kind of go along with it. But what you're not seeing is that they've, they haven't just added on to the meaning of human rights. They've actually changed the meaning because China is using that instead of giving people the human rights that we consider human rights, the life, the rights to life liberty in the pursuit of happiness. You don't have the right to life when you can be sent to a concentration camp or, or killed for your organs. Or right? welded into your apartment so you can die. Yeah. I mean, and, and that's like the, the fact that that's happening in China as part of their COVID response shows a complete disregard for human rights, a complete disregard for individual liber liberties. Uh, but you got a MacBook. Yeah, well, I mean... Well, and then China says, ah, but we stopped COVID. Yeah, we had to weld people in their homes, but we stopped. 
There's that video which isn't true. The giant bar they like wedge between the door and the wall so the door can't be opened. Yeah. There's one of like a woman being dragged into like this box on a pickup truck, screaming the whole time. Yeah. Well, I think the other thing with the 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 elite capture is like you. One thing that it's important to notice, and I think we'll see more and more of this, is you'll see people saying we need to re-engage with China. There was a Foreign Affairs magazine uh, article by this guy <clears throat> named Ryan Haas that was basically saying, you know, China alarmism doesn't help anyone. Like, that was basically the title. Sounds like Mark like, Cuban, right? Yeah, like, yeah, this whole idea that, oh, like, oh, we yeah. can't, you know, the, Mark Cuban, definitely the whole, like, China's a customer, so we can't really criticize, I don't want to criticize them because they're a customer. But, like, this whole idea yeah. uh, that, like, we need to, like, re-engage, like, oh, the, the Trump administration was wrong to, like, you know, they made the conflict worse when really it was really the Chinese Communist Party. But the whole idea is that we need to now, like, we need to soften our stance to China. China's not so bad. The Communist Party is not so bad, you know? Yeah, I mean, it's just a little genocide. You want to talk about that atrocious uh, economist article? Oh, yeah. There was an article in The Economist after the whole um, genocide thing with the Trump administration, and they said, okay, uh, the, the Canadian parliament was voting that it was genocide, and The Economist ran this article basically being like is it really genocide though <laughs> because you know when people even though the un definition of genocide includes trying to eliminate a people uh, including by preventing births and sterilization and things that are happening to the uyghurs in china like that is part of the un convention on genocide like that is def- defined as genocide the economist was like but most people think of genocide as being mass murder so if it's not to that point yet and we use the word genocide aren't we kind of you know isn't that worse for you know future genocides that like yeah. we now cheapen the word genocide? Well, specifically said they're not slaughtering them as they're being butchered yeah. for their well, organs. No, the organ harvesting <laughs> is just win-win mutual cooperation, cooperation on the Communist Party's terms between the Uyghurs and the don't and the organ recipients. Yes, that's yeah. cooperation. There's an exchange going on, so it's cooperation. Yeah. As know? long as two parties are willing in this, it doesn't matter yeah. if someone else isn't. I oh, mean, it's, it's it's a democracy, so it's for the the good of the majority. Yes, the what, what do they say? The people's democratic, democratic dictatorship. Well, yeah. if they don't view the Uyghurs as people, then there's no... As humans, there's no human rights violation, right? Oh, no. The, the, the 56 ethnic minorities of China are very happy. Every year they have a wonderful New Year's show where they, they bring them all out and have a little dance number. Or they'll give the BBC a guided tour of these alleged concentration camps. Huh. And they're singing and they're getting, you know, job skills. And they're dancing for the camera with yeah. like bruises over their mm. eyes. Like, it's but very... It, it, it is, but it's very hard for foreigners to see what's actually happening in China. I think you have and, to break it down, yeah. It, like, like you, you can't, like, you just don't get access as a foreigner. And right. the, yeah. like the the yeah. last time I was in mainland, uh, which was which was more than fifteen years ago, it, it's you know, uh, it wasn't even so closed off. But at the time, like you know, they wanted foreigners to be in certain parts of the big cities, uh, and they wanted you to be on on tours, and they didn't want you to go outside of that. And if they did, and if you did go outside of that. The authorities might try to like, you know, get you to go back to your hotel. Uh, and now it's even more restrictive, uh, where like they're basically, they keep journalists out of going to like villages where controversial things are going on. They keep, you know, essentially a, a foreign reporter can't possibly get into Tibet or Xinjiang anymore. So yeah. it's, it's just like, like the, the people who are going to China, these, the politicians, the business people, the academics 
They're going to the cities. They're getting on these high-speed rails. They're staying in the five-star hotels. They're eating at nice restaurants. And this is the part of China they see. And so they have a very skewed view of what China is. Okay. Well, so here's here's a bit of optimism for you. You're saying you're pessimistic. Um, yeah, Matt, that's absolutely right. It's hard for foreigners to know what's happening in China. The reason I started China Uncensored in 2012 was because everything we've talked about tonight is really not new. It's been going on for decades. I started the show because Americans didn't know about it. Americans weren't talking about this and just thought China was like, oh, you know, developing country, it's a democracy, right? There's but now a you president. Talk, there's a president. But now you talk about this Pew research uh, and the it's totally shifted. People are talking about the Chinese Communist Party in a way they were not yeah. even eight years ago, even five years ago. It's interesting, the president thing, because I have had multiple conversations with pe friends of mine who were like, didn't know that China didn't have democracy because the, the it's called, he's called President Xi Jinping, even though the word in Chinese is not president, it is chairman, chairman of the state. Right. So like... The word that they use in Chinese to talk about Xi Jinping, there's a different word that they use for president that they used to talk about Biden or, you know, like it's like the word is Zongtong. For, why do we call him president? It's propaganda. Because yeah. they started translate in the 80s. They started translating president that Zhu Xi, which is chairman as president, like officially the official translation in, in China, in China. And so it's it, manipulation. Yeah. So that that's the they twist the language. Wow. Another example. um, I want you to tell the story uh, about the uh, the struggle, Xi Jinping and the oh, struggle. Right. Yeah, so uh, Xi Jinping recently gave a, a uh, speech to young Chinese Communist Party members where he told them, you know, you know, you have to like really believe in the party and carry on the strong traditions and spirit of the party. And the Chinese language, in the English uh, state-run media reports, it was like, oh yeah, and he was inspiring them to talk about, you know, how great the party is and serve the people. In Chinese, there was a, like the term that they, he kept bringing up was the term struggle, which is doujing, which is a Marxist-Leninist, like Chinese Communist Party idea of the, using the dialectic, right? Like two opposing sides, and then they have to struggle, and like one has to win against. So it's like oppressed versus oppressor, mm -hmm. or, you know, proletariat versus bourgeoisie, whatever. So it's like in uh, China, like the Chinese Communist Party will have, you know, in the Cultural Revolution, you had to doujing against the counter-revolutionaries, like this idea of struggling against a, an opposing side. So in Chinese, Xi Jinping said struggle the whole time during the thing. Like we have to, young Communist Party members must remember this, to struggle. The Communist Party's like tradition of struggle, all this stuff completely wiped out in English because they don't want uh, to make the Communist Party look like that. So we we look back at history and we know the culture revolution the, the was cultural revolution mm -hmm. was horrifying struggle sessions and all that stuff. What was before communist China? What was was it also an oppressive system? Was it was the government you know horrible to its people? Well, people kind of mistakenly talk about Chinese history like it was its monolithic thing, when in fact it was in very diverse over thousands of years. Uh, and there were definitely times where the society was more prosperous and stable. There was times where it was more oppressive. Um, like even like we started talking about like uh, the masculinity thing. And like in a lot of articles I was reading about that, uh, the sort of Western take on that was, well, you know, in, in, in China, they believe that, you know, yang, masculine is strong and, you know, yin is 
weak and women, yin is women and should be weak and submissive. And that's not, that's not even really accurate. That's a complete misunderstanding of, uh, these ancient Chinese principles. Like yin and yang are supposed to be in balance in many martial arts. There's this, there, they say, and Taoism says the soft overcomes the hard. Mm. So soft yin does not mean weak. Right. Um, so, golly, what was I trying to say? Well, I was asking so, the government before the Communist Party. Was it oppressive? Well, I mean, which government, right? Like, which of yeah. the Immedi- immediate, of- Immediately preceding the Communist Party. Oh, so the Republican period. Is that what it was? Uh, it was It was horribly corrupt. Um, it also was dealing with World War II and fighting Japanese. Right. Uh, and fighting Communist and subversion. I mean, this, this, this year marks 100 years since the formation of the Chinese Communist Party in 1921, which was... Uh, connected to the Soviets, which the Soviets had tried to, you know, start the the com the was the third uh, the, the third co- communist international the Comintern mm-hmm. and get that branch going in China, because at the time the idea of the Soviets was we're gonna have communism spread around the world, so they were starting all these party cells. So so the the Qing Dynasty fell nineteen eleven, uh, and then it was followed by you know a little bit of, of chaos, and then the the Republic of China came about, but within, you know, a decade, you had the Communist Party starting and essentially sowing chaos throughout the countries to the, to the degree that they were able to, uh, sometimes working with the Republic of China government, sometimes fighting against them, but always, even when working with, they were subverting it from within. Yeah. And so there was no real chance for the Republic of China government to be a fully functioning government. And it was a very difficult time. And I'm not defending some of the things that happened there because there were some some challenges. But it's it's the classic uh, Communist Party tactic of, you know, the Republican period of China. It was corrupt. There were definitely issues. There was uh, wealth inequality. So the Communist Party uses that and says, hey, these guys are oppressing you. This society's, you know, these are the bad guys. Hey, and and Mao would go to the, the poor peasants in the countrysides and promise them a better future, a more equal future. Now, the elites of that period, the ones who, you know, towed the party line, were they spared? Oh, I mean, the biggest victims of the Communist Party are Communist Party members. I mean, even before <laughs> the Communist Party actually ruled the country, there was tons of purges the within Yana. the party. The Yan'an yeah. rectification. Yeah. Yeah. That, that basically meant uh, thought control and thought reform and brainwashing. That was kind of where... Sort of one of the the first sort of mass brainwashing campaigns in history is the Communist Party brainwashing and torturing other Communist Party officials in a part of China called Yan'an. Like that, that's how they treat their own people. How do you think they're treating everyone else? I mean, the guy who's supposed to succeed, Mao Lin Biao, right? Oh, died in a mysterious plane crash. Died in a mysterious, and then suddenly, like he was like Mao's second in command, then mysteriously died. And then suddenly, like, the word was, oh, he was very bad. He was communicating. The with campaign the to criticize Confucius and Lin Biao. Yeah. It was like the mass political campaign to criticize, like, the political enemy. So, but if you look at Marxism, right, and if you read Marx, uh, Marx's view is that, uh, Karl Marx, not Groucho Marx, uh, mm. the view is that the history of humanity is a history of class struggle, right? And this is, I believe, an inaccurate view of humanity and history, but that's the Marxist view. Mm-hmm. And that was the Leninist view. And that's the, was the Maoist view. And that's the Xi Jinping view. So the idea is that, uh, there are always these two opposing forces that always have to fight. And the only way for history to progress 
is through these groups struggling against each other. And so the, the communists, uh, they believe this actually. Uh, and so they believe that they must struggle against enemies. And if there's not an enemy, if they've defeated an enemy, there must, they need to create another enemy. So there's always going to be an enemy. There's always going to be a persecuted group. There's no, there's no way for a communist party to not have a group that they're going after because that is the way they see their own society and power is moving forward. There has to always be class struggle. Which and is why we as Americans should be very concerned with Xi Jinping telling the new cadre to struggle. Well, I think who's it going to yeah. be? I mean, on a foreign policy level, the, the Chinese Communist Party has to struggle with the United States, which is the global hegemon, right? Mm-hmm. So there's always going to be that struggle. Do you, do you see uh, parallels between the Cultural Revolution and what's happening today? Because, you know, we, 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 the, a lot of people call what's happening with cancel culture struggle sessions. Well, so it's it's this, this is something that has been people have made that comparison before, and it's it creates a lot of controversy because there aren't roving bands of Red Guard killing people yet. But I but think they were the, import- like, the, the Red Guard, were, they were literally murdering just people in, in large numbers. Yeah. Uh, so the, the thing, the quest, the real question is, how does a society get to that point? What breeds that? Uh, and so we do need to be vigilant because if this happened once before in human history, it could happen again. Well, like, like how many people were the Red Guard killing? Uh, numbers of people who died in the Cultural Revolution, it varies Probably, a lot. Probably maybe 15 to 20 million. Like, the Millions. high end is 20 million as an, as a, as a estimate of how many people died during but the Cultural Revolution. There was no period among these revolutionaries where they knew they were in the cultural revolution it was only with hindsight we looked back and then said here's no, where it started. No, the cultural revolution was a specific campaign by mao oh, okay it was, it was called the cultural revolution. to eliminate yeah. the four olds which was old thought old culture i forget all the olds i i just mean like was there a was there a point where mao was like okay today's the day we start go and kill yes. people they, well, he was like, today we must start the Cultural Revolution to, you know, basically rectify the culture of the party. So there was yeah. an actual, like, start date mm-hmm. for that. And it ended when he died. And people were like... <laughs> After a really long time? Yeah, well, well it was only 10 a years. decade. Oh, yeah, okay. about a decade. He was but old. a long time. Uh, yeah, it was... It was I, I remember speaking to one Chinese person who was alive at the time, and they said it was basically, we talk about, it, like, the 10 years that we went crazy. I mean, yeah. it was really bad. Although in some areas it was worse than others, and like by the by the end, Mao was kind of like not doing well, so it was it kind of petered out. But like literally, you had to quote Mao's Little Red Book to like be able to buy food. You know, like or, you or would, like get on a bus, you had yeah. to say a quote from Mao. Uh, wow. Yeah, yeah. But I, like you know, the there there are, I understand why some people see parallels with what's happening in the U.S. today. I think the. There's a few big differences in the, and the chief one is that the U.S. government protects freedom of speech. And, you know, even if you get canceled on Twitter and, and kicked off of YouTube and, you know, your books are banned from the publisher, like, you're not going to be arrested. You're not going to be, there's no legal mechanism to send you to prison. That's not, that's not sure there is. They just lie. Okay, so, but that's, I mean... I mean, you take a look at the, the Antifa riots throughout the Pacific Northwest. We just learned uh, there was an investigation that found 31 of 90 had their charges dropped and many dismissed with prejudice, which, according to one expert, this is extremely rare for them to actually do this. Some of these were felony charges where Antifa literally assaulted an officer. Their charges are dropped. 
Now, when it comes to the the out group, which would be these, you know, Trump supporters at the Capitol, you have the instance of some people. This is really interesting because I'm seeing journalists say this. The shaman guy with the horns. Mm -hmm. Apparently, he argued in court. The cops waved him in. And it's on video. The cops are waving and people are following the cops waving and then the cops open the door. Not everybody who went in the building were shoving their way through police and fighting with cops. There were many circumstances where the doors were just opened up. Now, I think obviously everybody who went in the building was dumb and it was a huge mistake for these people. But you take a look at how after, you know, six, seven months of rioting and cities being burned down and these Antifa people, I mean, the vice president was soliciting donations to bail her out. So we, we can say there's no legal mechanism in a sense, but there is a cultural mechanism that guarantees if you're far leftist and you burn down a city, it is very likely that you will face no cultural repercussions or none whatsoever. I mean, they're not being targeted by law enforcement as terrorists. They're being the, the vice president's raising money. Joe Biden's own staffers were raising money to get them out. But if you're a Trump supporter who was just in D.C., you're this woman. She's a psychological operations officer in the army. She was simply attending a speech. She's being she's under investigation. One guy was a music, a, a rapper. He's an artist. Uh, his label dropped him for simply being in D.C. when this happened. So that's what's scary to me. We can say, oh, but we have a constitution. Sure. But what happens when the federal government just lies? And then you have the entirety of the establishment Democratic left saying, good. They want to do a commission on these people now. I think it's it's, you know, may, maybe the fear is perhaps a bit pessimistic. But maybe the fear is that they learn from what these other countries did and how to avoid, you know, falling into certain traps. They don't want to kill people. They want control. They don't want to look like the villains themselves, especially in an age of social media and instant transmission of information. So they use clever manipulation to make sure their political dissidents are stripped, destroyed and removed. And that's what's happening. I do think that it is different in the U.S. Like if the Cultural Revolution happened in the U.S., it could not happen the same way that it happened in China because we do not have... Uh, like it's not like we have guns well well besides that like the whole mechanism is like started in china by the state like it's started by the chinese communist party it's like top down but like also the cult of personality mao had which doesn't but, but, but like but you're saying but there's I no think cult that, of personality around but when, <laughs> i think that like in the u.s the mechanism is like if you have these tech companies if you have like uh like the democratic party or like you have you have this like cultural mechanism for it that is like a different manifestation but it could like the psychologically there are similarities i would say and especially in terms of like things like the you know reporting on people like the like there there are things that w that could happen with this cancel culture stuff that's going on that could follow like the course of the cultural revolution without being a thing that is done the by the bath. yeah or done by the state exactly or like you know but it could have like the same you can have uh, neighborhood watch committees where you know or you know everybody's looking at whatever you know you're pulling up what you said on twitter 20 years ago per, per, you know perhaps we're just not at that stage of what the cultural revolution was yet but we do have you know just recently the it was christopher ray i believe it was fbi saying you know domestic terror Coming, you know, I, I don't know if he specifically called out Trump supporters, but I think he said, you know, far right domestic terrorists, the biggest threat we're facing. You've got the Democrats saying Trump supporters and QAnon. They're claiming that they need to keep these troops surrounding D.C. with razor wire fences and these and, the, and you know, razor wire and, and these fences because of the, the these conspiracy theories about Trump's true inauguration. You are getting from mainstream press a narrative over and over and over again of who the evil is calling for, an, uh, they're calling it the 1-6 commission. 
They want a 9-11 style commission on what happened at the Capitol. They're acting like it was on par with 9-11. And they're continually demonizing Trump supporters, populist right-wingers, conservatives, to the point where, you know, we've mentioned it several times now, Echelon Insights interviewed Democrats. What is, you know, of these things, how would you rate your level of concern? The top concern among Democrats is Trump supporters, white nationalists, white supremacy. And among Trump supporters, among Republicans, it's illegal immigration, taxation, support for the police, very run-of-the-mill conservative positions. It seems like the narrative we're getting from the mainstream press about how bad and awful the right is in this country is reaching that level where, I mean, people, I think, are ready to, to burst and go insane. So perhaps it's not the point where you'll see Red Guard going around literally murdering, murdering people. But we are getting danger to that point where I believe it's entirely possible you will see the Democrats come out and straight up say, arrest them all, every single one. Because we're already getting to that point. Nicole Wallace on MSNBC said, if they were in a different country, would have blown them up by now with a drone strike. What, wouldn't Mitch McConnell think Trump should be arrested for what he did? We have an article from The Root where they said Republicans are enemy combatants, that we must treat as enemy combatants. The Root in 2018, according to Newswhip, was the number one publication on the left. Now, the right got substantially more engagements, but they were still number one. What happens when you have prominent Democratic uh, uh, politicians, people like Ocasio-Cortez saying, Ted Cruz, you tried to get me murdered. And they're telling this to people over and over again. Where do we go in a year? Perhaps right now we're saying, oh, but in the Cultural Revolution, they were they were called upon by the by the party, by the by the political figures to go and and do these things. And it's like, okay, well, maybe in a year they do that, maybe in two years, three years. All I know is right now I'm constantly being told by the press how Trump is an insurrectionist who tried to overthrow the United States government. And YouTube has deleted every iteration of his speech from CPAC. This level of tribalist demonization isn't stopping. It's escalating. It's getting worse. And it seems to me like we we are dangerously close to this point where the hysteria reaches this level. Perhaps we have a president in Joe Biden who he's already failing his first test in the in the migrant crisis. The left is outraged over his migrant detention centers for children. The right is outraged over his releasing of covid positive patients, uh, covid positive illegal immigrants into Texas, as well as shutting down Trump's border wall. So now you've got both sides angry with him. He didn't get the stimulus checks out. Are we potentially looking at a pathetic and failed leader who causes widespread, you know, just a, a demoralization among even moderates in this country that results in a Donald Trump running again in 2024 against, say, Kamala Harris, who does not have the charisma to win. Trump ends up getting a decisive but slim victory. And then you have all of that conditioning over four years of the demons of the insurrectionists. Trump finally completed his insurrection. He took the country over. We must go. We must purge. We must stop this. Or perhaps it goes the other way. Trump becomes president and says they're the bad guys. They're the ones trying to subvert it. Like the hyperpolarization is getting just that scary to me. Well, democracy is very fragile. And, you know, you were mentioning the commission making the comparison to 9-11. Well, what's the lesson of 9-11? The government used terrorism to create the Patriot Act, which was really more about making the government more powerful and taking away the rights of the American people. I mean, right? it's, it's about power and control and what you kind of just described was a struggle session, essentially. And so this is where people need to learn from history and see the patterns. Are these actual <laughs> threats that are being discussed, or is it just somebody creating that opposition that they need to have the dialectical conflict? Well, that's it, the struggle, right? Mm -hmm. There's something to struggle against. There's well, an interesting book that, that talks a lot about this sort of thing that I think you're talking about. It's called uh, How the Specter of Communism is Ruling the World. Uh, it, it makes some interesting points. Um, 
well, people can read that themselves and draw their yeah. conclusions. But it looks at history, and you do see, you know, there are people who learn from all of these tactics that have been used for control. And people who want control, they're not idiots. They look at what has worked and what hasn't worked and refined. The Chinese Communist Party is a much more refined Soviet Union. They're not making many of the same mistakes the Soviet Union did because they learned from them. That's why the Chinese Communist Party is still here. Yeah, they constantly talk about Gorbachev and how nobody can be a Gorbachev, basically. Remember when I, people thought she would be Gorbachev? Mm. I remember there was an event held in D.C. A bunch of Trump supporters were protesting against massive multinational billion-dollar corporations that were suppressing speech, political speech in the U.S. The Trump supporters were protesting and targeting billionaires. Antifa showed up and physically attacked them. It's, it's interesting that you have this demonization for the populist right. It's the elites, it's the establishment. For the populist left, it's the populist right. And I wonder if that's just the convenient tool of the establishment to say, get these people to attack them because they're attacking us. Using this idea of the struggle, this, this, this conflict between factions to make sure nobody actually goes after them. If they keep doing that, well, eventually using Trump supporters, conservatives, and populist right-wingers as your scapegoat will result in such extreme hyperpolarization that people start getting killed. We've already seen with the riots over last year, I think there was 19 official deaths caused by the riots. And then there are, I believe, 11 or 12, uh, about 12 peripheral deaths just out in, in you know, like as a result of the rioting, some people died for certain reasons. But then we also had that uh, that guy in Portland who took two in the chest from that Antifa guy. With the, the He had the Black Lives Matter tattoo on his neck, the revolution fist, and he shot him twice in the chest. When you say riots, you're talking about the mostly peaceful protests, yes, right? Yes, where buildings were on fire and destroyed and over $2 billion in, in insurance payouts, not even the total cost of damage that we saw, and uh, and the, the vice president and president supporting those actions. You, know, you, want something, you want to know something absolutely insane? Andrew Cuomo, there's a new report coming out that he... His administration instructed the health department to obscure the amount of people who died in nursing homes as a result of their policies. On March 25th of last year, Cuomo, put, uh, he, he announced this policy to send COVID patients into nursing homes. Nursing homes resisted, saying this will introduce the virus into the most vulnerable populations. They said, so what? 15,000 people died. Cuomo covered it up, and that is confirmed. One assemblyman has said it's a criminal, a coordinated criminal conspiracy. I've said, send the guy to prison. Andrew Cuomo still enjoys a 65% approval rating and a 60% favorability rating among Democrats. When you have that level of, he's been accused of harassing women. Three women have stepped forward. And even prominent Democratic, uh, like left-leaning liberal type figures in the media are criticizing him, saying he should resign. Democrats are saying he should resign. It is now being reported by mainstream left, right-wing publications. He killed these people. He covered it up. The Democrat voter still favors him 65%. So when you have things like that, it says to me, like, tribalism owns everything. You could have, quite literally, when Donald Trump said I could shoot somebody on Fifth Avenue, you wasn't kidding. That's a good point. Yeah, tribalism, it's, it's, it is a tool of dictators. It's, uh, the more, the less we see each other as fellow humans that actually have more in common than we do differences, that gets easily used when we start to just see the other, the enemy. Yeah. 
Well, how about we take super chats? We'll see what the audience has to say. If you haven't already, smash the like button and uh, subscribe at the notification bell. If you're listening on iTunes, Spotify, or any other podcast platform, leave us a good review. Give us as many stars as they allow. And then write why we're the best, because it really does help the show. And I guess the saying goes, the only people find out about podcasts is from people who listen to podcasts. So if you like it, you just got to share it. But uh, again, smash that like button and let's read some of these super chats. So usually this happens if we have a pinned bit of merchandise. I can't see the name of the person who gave us the first super chat. Mm. So I apologize. But they ask, have you ever watched Attack on Titan? And if so, do you see parallels that it has with our reality? Have any of you watched Attack on Titan? Can't say I have. <laughs> it is like the most popular anime, but uh, no idea. I've, I've only seen a couple episodes. All right, let's see. Toby Walker. Oh, this is very important. Important. He says, toy boat, toy boat, toy boat. Did you know there are 16 unique species of penguins? Toy boat, toy boat, toy boat, unique New York, specific Pacific, specific Pacific, toy boat, toy boat. Congratulations. Ooh. You got me to say those things. Food for thought. Are you trying to like do a defake or something by having <laughs> me say all of that? Unique New York. Jordan Jones says, I hope that the team is doing well at Timcast IRL. At what point do states and individuals stop sending resources to the federal government that is pushing radical left policies that are hurting their well-being? I honestly have no idea. I don't know. Do you guys see any? I, I, I know your specialty is more China, but uh, perhaps that was just my opinion thinking, you know, being more pessimistic. But what's your what's your your prospect on this country? Do you think optimism, pessimism? I, I'm ultimately optimistic. Um, I got to say, after that last uh, spiel of yours, the optimism's a bit. Uh, <laughs> a bit I have drained the optimism hard. from you. Uh, no, I, I mean, I think ultimately this was something they talked about in ancient China. People innately are good. Well, in ancient China, they didn't always agree with that either. Mm. But I think people, there's an innate goodness to them that they want to... They, they value, there are universal values that people have. And I know that's not something that's necessarily, people like to talk about universal values anymore. You but. know, I can be both pessimistic and optimistic at the same time in mm -hmm. saying that I think the night is always darkest before the dawn. And we have not, re uh, we have not yet reached the, uh, the darkest point of the night yet. So it seems like things are going to get pretty bad. But then maybe after the tumult, things will be a bit better. Yeah, I think people do need to get a better better understanding of some of the things that are happening. Yeah. And that will take time. All right. Lua Coder says, I am distraught that lots of our manufacturing industry has moved over to China. Even Roblox, I used to play, play back in 2011, is opening their market to China. The checklist for UGC is absurd. Is there any grassroots lobbying that can be done to bring our manufacturing back? Interestingly, the Biden administration is currently doing a review of supply chains in the U.S. So this is something that I think Democrats care a lot about and Republicans uh, from a national security standpoint and from like a kind of, you know, a workers rights, you know, like populist standpoint. So this might be one of those things where we do start to bring back some of that at least critical manufacturing like. You yeah. know, drugs, medical supplies. That Chuck kind Schumer of was talking about the making some kind of law to help us outcompete China. Yeah. So I think a lot of the things that happens is that U.S. politicians, when they talk about China, they don't actually have a very good idea of what the Chinese Communist Party is. They're more using it as a mirror to reflect the U.S. Uh, but in this case, because of the supply chain issue, I think this might be something where there's a concerted effort to bring back American manufacturing. Interesting. People just need to buy American more. Yeah. 
maybe maybe we need more uh, philanthropists. We need more nonprofits. We need more industry to focus on American products at American costs. We need think tanks. Yeah. <laughs> New independent think tanks. All right. Bobby Bob says, should the U.S. break up, would there be any negative effect on China, such as U.S. businesses leaving? I think if the U.S. broke up, that would be like the best thing that ever happened for the Chinese <laughs> Communist Party. Yeah. They'd have a party. They like, would have a real Communist yeah. Party. Yeah. There. Well, that's why I wonder about, you know, do they want to influence this uh, culture war? They do. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I think I don't know that they're directly doing it, but like they definitely want to play it up. They want to use it whenever they can because well, it, it weakens the U.S., Right. I mean, yeah. and it's and it's in the sense of Marxist class struggle. It is pitting one group against another group, and so again, I wouldn't say the Communist Party is behind it necessarily, but they certainly like it, and it certainly fits the way that the Communist Party would do things if they were to try to sow discord within China. All right, Turk Longwell says, Tim, a question for your guests: Can anyone please comment on how you think a hot war would play out between them and us? Great show! Smash the like button. A hot war. Um, well, it depends on whether or not they have Taiwan or not. Uh, at the moment, uh, China is not in a... I don't think they could really sustain like a full-on war with the United States. Uh, with Taiwan, the U.S. has access to the Chinese coastline. There's uh, support from the Quad, an alliance that's been building up between the U.S., uh, India, Japan, and Australia, which I wonder what the Biden administration is going to do about that alliance. Um, but also just in the event of a hot war, it would become impossible for any American industry to work with China. And then China loses its access to money. Well, I think that's a big one. So also, um, it would be likely a naval war. Yeah. Uh, and right now, the U.S. still has naval superiority in the Pacific. But the U.S. In, uh, Indo-Pacific commander just came out and said that China might get parity by 2026. Wow. Uh, because they're really building. They have their more naval fleet ships right now. and submarines. Yeah. Really. So, wow. I mean, in some ways, like if a hot war would happen, the sooner it happened, the better it would be for the U.S. Because the longer, it, like, it just gives the Chinese Communist Party time to mm. so build up the military and. So you're saying double the military budget? I mean. <laughs> They, I think that they have to take the military, and they are talking about this, uh, and take it the focus away from the Middle East, and you yeah. know t go back to when, focusing on the Pacific. Yeah. yeah, when the U.S. made the shift to Middle East fighting, the the, the Navy became support for the ground troops, mm. and in that time that the Navy was kind of being pushed to the side in the U.S., that's what China focused on. Right, China's uh, anti-ship ballistic missiles already have a considerably longer range than U.S. anti-ship missiles, which if you think about what that means in an actual ship-to-ship -ship warfare is the Chinese ships can get their missiles off much sooner and sink the American ships before the American ships can do anything. I, but the, the solution isn't to double the, mil the U.S. military no, budget. No, I was just kidding. Right? I mean, like, it would be much easier to just stop investing in China. You're saying we should blow up China now before... <laughs> I'm kidding, I'm kidding. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, we, all right. We got Samuel Powell says, Tim, you are wrong about Gen Z. As a Zoomer myself, I would I would say that at least 60 percent of us are conservative. We most are afraid to speak out. The reason most of us are clo uh, closeted is because most of the people who have the authority around us hate anyone who has right leaning views. 
Most of us are anti-porn because it's affected us negatively from a young age. Uh, well, then I would just say perhaps I am wrong and you are more conservative. I have pointed out that the Pew research shows there's a slight movement towards conservative for the first time in like four generations. But then uh, you have to be brave, I suppose, and just speak out. What's the worst that's going to happen? You got to learn how to actually hunt for your food. Oh, heavens, like humans had to do that for thousands, tens of thousands of years, hundreds of thousands of years. I guess, you know, my thing is that having grown up in a rough and tumble area and being homeless, I'm like, what's the worst someone could do to me? They're not going to hit me. And even if they did, is that really the worst? Is that it? You know, you get a scrape. Look, if you've got people around you that are abusing you and saying insane things, then just simply stop, leave, ignore them. Just don't engage with these kind of people. Stick Newcomb says, I own a shop called Texas Holster Solutions. I'd like to send you a holster for one of your pistols. Who can I email about this? Also, keep up the work, y'all. The show is 100% graphene, LOL. If you go to TimCast.com, I believe in the contact uh, uh, area, there's emails, but there's also a P.O. box address if you'd like to send stuff. All right. Justin Bookman says, this is a very, this is very off topic, but I'm getting out of trucking, looking for something to work from home. You guys are the smartest people that I know. What do you suggest? Tim Doth read the news and let slip the Ian of war. We are gorilla. <laughs> All right. Uh, working from home. Here's, here's what you do. Uh, I had this, this, this guy who was super rich told me, what's something that you're an expert on that is a common concern of people? Really easy example would be like dating. Most people, be it a man or a woman, want to have some like better understanding of dating. So what he said was, if you're good, if you have good insights and you're a good person and you want to help people, you simply write a small book and then you advertise it on Facebook and Google. You find out what your price point is uh, per, per, per advertisement. So if it takes $5 worth of ads to sell one book, sell it for $5.50 and you've automated the system and then you make passive income from one book you've written and it could seriously be like 50 pages. And so he explained to me that, you know, one of his paths was he had done things in his life like he was he worked out and he trained. And then he realized he's actually pretty proficient in this, very amateur, but he wrote a book about what he did and said, not medical advice. I'm just a guy. Here's my ideas. And he made a million dollars a year. So there you go. Shelly, we should write a book. Yeah. If you guys wrote a book called China Uncensored, and it was just not even that long, and it said, you know, understanding the basic facts about China and what you need to know, and then you put it up, you just do like ads on Google or Facebook or whatever, it, it, it's automated. So it takes, hmm. you know, if $5 in ads gets you a thousand views or whatever, and every thousand views gets you one book sale, five dollars and fifty cents, and you're making fifty cents every for every thousand views. So it's just automatically pulling in money. Eventually, everybody's read your book, and then you know what do you do after that? You write, write something else. But you know, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> and you make a million dollars. All right, Edud says Tim, the USA is actually being censored by the CCP. Remember, Facebook, Twitter, and Google hired the firm responsible for the great CCP censorship firewall to tailor their, their algorithm to prevent right-wing extremism. Have you guys heard that? I know we mentioned this uh, the last time we were on the show, that uh, there was a case of uh, one of the Facebook fact-checkers um, being tied to some company that was getting funding somehow or another through China. I don't remember all the details, but I know we did talk about that, where there was genuinely a concern about that that these fact checkers that uh, they have they get money from somewhere but there is a lot of ai research going on in china like google you know they, they did mm. shut down their dragonfly censored search app but google is 
in China now doing AI and they're not making a big public splash about it. But like Google wants to be in China because they have access to enormous amounts of data. There's no like user privacy restrictions in China. And so Google's working with Chinese companies to build up Google's own AI systems. And no doubt Google is or will be at some point intending to use that AI technology developed in China with Chinese companies and Chinese data and then use that for its American customers. Uh, is that a direct connection of the Communist Party using it to censor Americans? I don't think there's a direct connection there, but there's certainly some, you know, it, within a few steps, there's some connection to China. Association with an authoritarian regime always pulls the democracy down. It makes it yeah. less free. Yeah. All right. Nova Zero says, China uncensored gang. How much damage do you predict Xiao, Bai, Zhang, and Ka Mi La will do to the entire APAC region. Oh, oh okay. You, I was like, who? There's one more. I say, did you notice how allied nations have been slowly cutting out the U.S. in their dealings? That I, I pronounced it horribly, I'd imagine, right? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yes. That is beautiful. Um, I, I, I have so to say, still going over the name. Uh, isn't there, isn't him... Isn't he trying to like make Chinese out of Joe Biden and, and Kamala? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I see. Yeah. 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 Oh, Kamila. Uh, yeah. I didn't notice that. I didn't even catch that. Yeah. I was just I, like, I don't. I, I mean, you know, Joe Biden talks about reestablishing relations with allies, and I think you know, there's some degree that he's trying to do this, especially in Western Europe, where it seems like well, we haven't actually lost any allies over the last four years, but. Certainly, there's been some diplomatic tensions there. Uh, there has, however, been a lot of progress since 2017, uh, building up alliances in, for example, the Asia-Pacific region, such as the Quad, India, Japan, Australia, and the U.S. working together to counter the uh, the danger of the Chinese Communist Party and their military. So there have been a lot of alliances that well, have also strengthened. Central and Eastern Europe. Oh, yeah. Actually, the last four years have seen a lot of uh, helping develop relationships with Central and Eastern Europe to counter the pressure that they've been getting from China, to counter the investment from China. Uh, even to, to some degree in, in, in parts of Africa, U.S. money trying to counter the influence of China. Although I'm not sure that's been super successful. But like, you know, the, the whole thing about, you know, we lost all our alliances and now we have to get them back. I, I think that's that's not an accurate picture. It's just that certain alliances have been strengthened and certain alliances have been weakened, but the U.S. hasn't lost any allies, except maybe China. I mean, I would argue that's probably a good ally to lose if you're going to lose one. Uh, yeah. But like, you know, things have changed, things have shifted. Uh, yeah. And then, you know, Europe, it, are they trying to work with, you know, do they want to work with Joe Biden and Kamala Harris? Like, yeah, on, on some things, they want to work with the U.S. on climate change, and they want to get the Iran deal back. Um but, you know, they signed a big trade deal with China. The EU signed a trade, uh, a preliminary trade deal outline with China without consulting the U.S., which was a bit of a slap in the face. Because the was Biden also, administration asked them to wait. Yeah. yeah. It had been under works for years, um, was heading somewhere. And, yeah, they, they ignored the Biden administration's request. Well, before the, they were the administration saying, we're almost in power. Just wait. Till yeah. But, uh, but these alliances do take time and six weeks is not enough time i don't yeah. believe to see what the trajectory of the biden administration is going to be to build up or destroy yeah 
Eric Miller says, hilariously, YouTube put put in my recommendations the movie Big Trouble in Little China. <laughs> also, if Texas has a problem with the caravan, send them to D.C. There you go. Yeah, because uh, China Uncensored is in the title. So, <laughs> you know, they'll just take the keyword and then you get. It's a fun there movie. You go. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there you go. All right. Coop Diggity says, I love y'all. I'll watch this later. Be safe. Ian, I disagree often with your viewpoints, but often I find you have a unique viewpoint I haven't thought of. Lydia, thanks for being awesome and pushing buttons. And Tim, thanks. Well, Ian's not on the show tonight, and Luke is on vacation, so we just got the China Uncensored crew. But there you go. Publius the Good says, my buddy Dylan Witcher was banned from China when we were in high school because he started a massive free Tibet website in 2002. We were fighting this for decades. My first political fight was Tibet. Interesting. Great. Yeah, didn't they, they they removed that? It was like they did the new Top Gun movie, Top Gun Maverick. Yeah. And the patch on uh, Tom Cruise's back, they removed Tibet. Oh, it was Taiwan. Taiwan. Taiwan and Japan. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> wow. Yep. Well, you know, you got to please the uh, the CCP, so. Publius the Good also says, FBI says the entirety of all one million of conservatives are under investigation. Antifa terrorists are all out of jail. I disagree on the cultural cultural revolution here. I have actual... I have actually emails between DNC, Congress, and Antifa. So you, you disagree? Is it because they hate each other or something? Hmm. Questioning China says secret police were invented 600 years ago in China, Ming Dynasty, Google Eastern Depot. You guys know about that? I haven't heard of Eastern Depot. Oh. I also imagine secret police have been around for longer than 600 years. But yeah. that does sound like an interesting thing. Steven Valdez says, Chris, I had a super Patreon account with you guys for seven months, but never got my name at the end of a video, as promised. Messaged you guys three times on Patreon. Love your work, but was hoping you could respond. Well, I missed that message. Yeah, uh, yeah, sh- shoot us an email at uh, ChinaUncensored at gmail.com, and uh, we'll take care of it. Sorry about that. There yeah, you go. definitely. We get, we get the job done here at Tim Kestire. That's we right. make sure we hold, uh, we hold the, the powerful elites to account. <laughs> Truth yeah. to power. I mean, look, yeah, yeah. for a long time, our, our team was basically like, you know, the three of us plus one video editor. So yeah. we've, we, we, honestly, the truth is we, we do drop the ball sometimes and, and we're sorry about that. And I'm the producer. So really, it's my problem yeah. and not Chris's problem. But, but definitely a big thank you to everyone yeah. who supports uh, our work. Uh, it, it would not our China Uncensored would not be possible without uh, the viewer support on Patreon. Yeah, I mean, we're right we're a really small company and it's mostly viewer support and not YouTube ad revenue that's actually running our. So our thank you. Thank channel. you for that contribution. I'm sorry yeah. I missed that. Garnett says, call Chinese organ harvesting what it is, farming humans. Bring it up to your vegan friends. Ask them if they won't eat meat for moral reasons. Why the heck are you supporting a president who is A-OK with butchering Uyghurs like cattle? Yikes. I'm sure that'll be great uh, dinner conversation with people who are not particularly politically active. So you got some friendies eating like, you know, a kale chip salad or something. And you're like, so you don't eat meat? And they're like, no, I don't eat meat. Then why do you support Biden, you butcher? And they're going to be like, what? <laughs> no, but I, I do think it's a, it's a really fair point. You know, Biden needs to, I think Biden should have come out right away and said, this is genocide. No question about it. It must be stopped. He, on the campaign trail, he did call it genocide. Oh, or his, his campaign did. I don't know mm. that he actually did He himself. never said the word. Yeah. The G word. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mao Demighty says, my ear's been ringing. All night, but I wear this cowl like Bruce Wayne, though. Zan Guo, uncensored. Tim Reed, my mind, PM message. Oh, PM message. Thanks for quoting this. Mao, you got it. Mm-mm-mm, Supra says, 
They call it the Patriot Act because that is whom it goes after. Mm-hmm. Aha, there it is. Mm-hmm. Jake Mahaney says the CCP is arming Iran. Allowing Iran to conduct proxies in the Middle East, Biden is allowing China to commit genocide while simultaneously gearing up for reunification of Taiwan. Yeah, it sounds like things are uh, pretty bad. have to say, uh, maybe that's why I'm a little pessimistic. OMG Puppy says, hatred is the most accessible and comprehensive of all the unifying agents. Mass movements can rise and spread without belief in a god, but never without a belief in a devil. Eric Hoffer, the true believer. Interesting. Christopher says, you said you were planning on making a new site and new content. Would this be free or eligible for Timcast members or a whole new subscription? Uh, so we're planning on making a network of different websites, and it's one subscription for all of them. So quite literally, my, my, my goal is if you are a member of Timcast.com, I just want to make sure we just keep making more and more stuff for you and ultimately have one parent brand that you know, if you're a member of it, grants you access to basically everything. There are going to be some things because there'll be joint ventures where there'll be entirely separate subscriptions and websites. So I think the new show we're planning on doing will not be part of this because I'm doing it with other people and it'll have to be its own thing. So, but ultimately that's what I want to do. I want to do shows, original sketch comedy, documentary, and have it just be part of one big brand. So ultimately everybody who is already a member at TimCast.com will get access to all this really cool stuff we're planning to build. Quite literally, the membership you have, that money is going towards expanding, hiring new people. We actually have uh, some people coming out soon to interview about jobs because we're going to be doing a lot more, producing a lot more, and then hopefully that helps us make more money and start more companies. So uh, if you really like the show, then go to TimCast.com, become a member, smash that like button, and uh, share the podcast. And, and aside from that, I've got the other, my other YouTube channels as well, but we're trying to do more and more and more, to put it simply. Claymore says human is the most racist word there can be. Words of racism are words designed to defy people. Who had man? Racist, I say. It should be the rights of man. Interesting. Dom, uh, let's see, so what is it? Dom Nall, 1989, says, has China Uncensored seen J.J. McCullough's video on Falun Gong in which he mentioned China Uncensored as Falun Gong propaganda? Ooh, Smackdown. Uh, I never actually watched that, um, but... We we are completely independently produced. We have no connection to Falun Gong any more than we have connection to the Jews, which is something I've been accused of as well. That's <laughs> so weird. Uh, yeah. There, there was, a, uh, I think I mentioned this to you guys last time, there was apparently some campaign hitting up medium, like small size YouTubers but with decent followings, maybe like tens of thousands, mm. where they would say, hey, just upload this video to your YouTube channel. That's all. And we'll pay you, you know, 500 bucks or 600 bucks. And it was some guy explaining why the Falun Gong was a dangerous cult. And he was like complaining that they were performing in New York and that everyone should go and complain to the Performing Arts Center to get Falun Gong banned or whatever. That was really weird. When I, when I saw that, I'm like, who would, who would upload to their channel a video from some random person? But also like, like it should be a red flag if the authoritarian communist party is persecuting a group. Like that should be a signal that like, you shouldn't also be persecuting these people in a free country. Like maybe there's something wrong with the group that's doing the persecuting. Right. Right. Weird. So, yeah, I mean, it's just, you know, but, but, but people, people go after us and that's whatever, you know. All right. Kara May says, Hey Tim, thanks for reading my super chat. Oddly bandersnatchy, but it's fine. Anyway, Cuomo definitely performed genocide. Am I crazy for finding this obvious AF? Cuomo killed 15,000 people. And it wasn't just him. 
there's some other governors as well and they were and they were warned of this so man it's 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 a it's a creepy time i tell you that all right anything about texas please talk about 3f and the ccp stated aims to literally destroy the united states in your opinion are we in immediate danger are we so compromised from the inside that all hope is lost i don't know what the 3f's are 3f no idea and the ccp stated aims to destroy the united states is that a thing uh, well, they're very clear about uh, struggling against the United States, that the United States is the enemy. They are the whole unrestricted warfare thing. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, the Chinese Communist Party is already at war with the United States. We talked about the last time, unrestricted yeah. warfare. I mean, we're, we're, we're being slammed by cyber war. I mean, China is going after our infrastructure all the time. That's one aspect of it. Yeah. yeah. Um, financial warfare. Information. Um, drug warfare. Yeah, information warfare. It's a big one. Yeah. Yeah. All right, let's see what we got. Alexander Hale says Cuomo's high approval rating is as about as legit as Biden's approval rating. It's fake, just like all the polls before the election was fortified. Yeah. Publius the Good says we haven't even begun to fight. John Paul Jones, the original Alex Jones, not advocating violence. FBI historically accurate. Hmm. That's what he said. What was it? He was in a he was a uh, in his ship and they were firing cannons uh, at each maybe. other and yeah, and his ship was like just slammed and he was like we have not yet begun to fight we haven't even begun to fight famous quote lester leo says u.s should learn how taiwanese handle elections taiwan treats voting security and transparency seriously given how china china always wants to influence it interesting we were there for the taiwan election and they have a pretty good system yeah. Yeah. Security. A, a, a couple things about Taiwan election security. Uh, number one, you have to show up in person and show your ID. Huh. Uh, number two, paper they're, ballots. They're, they're paper ballots. <laughs> uh, number three, uh, at the end of the voting day, uh, anyone from the community can come in and stand there physically and be an observer. They're not selected observers. They're anyone just can randomly arbitrarily show up and they yeah. can watch the ballots being counted, read aloud and tallied on a board not just and, allowed in the building but but they can actually see it yeah the observers yeah. can actually observe right yeah and so uh there's for the the in the in-person voting id uh clear uh chain with paper ballots and the observers uh there, it's it's very very hard to commit fraud there now the the flip side of this obviously is that you know if you can't vote by mail you could say well there's maybe some disenfranchisement and i think that's true and every country has to figure out what's the balance between security and ensuring the integrity of the election and making sure that more people have access to voting. Uh, Taiwan has made that choice to ensure security because they're under so much threat uh, from the Communist Party. And other countries may at least want to look to that model for inspiration uh, to, to some degree. And I think also Taiwan's only been voting since like 1996. So oh, interesting. So they... They treasure, like for presidential elections. So yeah. they, they treasure their democracy a lot. And I think it was, you know, all of us felt quite moved, like watching the whole process of like people bringing their kids to watch the vote count and things they like love that. their democracy. Yeah, it was, it was really amazing. And yeah, like everybody gets the day off to vote, but you have to go in person. So mm. like people flew from overseas to go back to Taiwan to vote. Wow. Yeah. Justin Wheeler says, will Timcast ever have an app? We are working on it right now, actually. So we know that most people who watch and listen are doing it on mobile. And so we are trying to build that mobile app. So it's really easy for members to just log in and do all that really cool stuff. So, yeah. 
Nick Timko says, I got my wisdom teeth out this week and watching your podcast has really helped keep my mind off the pain. Oh, Good. I hear that. I'm glad. I had a, I had a really, really bad impacted wisdom tooth, this one. And getting it taken out was like, it, the, the dentist, it looked like he was doing, you know, street construction. <laughs> and it was, I was shaking and sweaty and just like, for like three days, I was like, oh, all these painkillers was like the worst pain ever. So isn't it nice to know that your show is less bad than that? Yes. <laughs> just a little bit. <laughs> a little bit, a little bit, a little bit less bad than getting your wisdom tooth ripped out of your That's face. a compliment. Please have oh. us back. <laughs> All right. A horrible gamer says, says Shelly, how did you become aware and start spreading the word about China? What is the story of you partnering up with Agent Smith against China? Uh, that's classified. <laughs> I see. But um, my parents came from, well, I was born in China and uh, my parents came to the U.S. in the 80s as grad students. Uh, and then they brought me to America and we were all in the U.S. by the time the 1989 Tiananmen Square massacre happened. Wow. And my dad, before, he had gotten a, a scholarship from the Chinese government to study, get his PhD in America. So he was supposed to go back. Uh, and he was he was intent on bringing us back until the Tiananmen Square massacre happened. And then he basically uh, just was so furious. Like, the Chinese students in America at that time, like, they, were, they marched in the streets of the U.S. against the Chinese government. That's how That's how bad that was. And... Uh, basically, we ended up staying in the U.S. because the uh, Bush administration at the time gave um, Chinese students who had been in the U.S. and protested during the massacre, like a, like amnesty, because the idea was that you could be, you know, if you went back to China, you could be persecuted for yeah. protesting in the U.S. Wow. So yeah. crazy. Yeah. All right. Uh, Al or AI, whichever one says, Cuomo didn't kill anyone. Anyone in medicine can tell you people can't stay in hospitals and are sent to nursing homes for long-term care. It's a cost thing. Except when they have the Javits Center and the Mercy available and empty, and the nursing home said, you will introduce the virus here. And then Cuomo was like, geez, what have we done? We better hide the numbers. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, we might get investigated by federal prosecutors. That's literally what happened. There it is. He killed him. And he doesn't want to take responsibility for it. All right. That guy says, do you think if China attacks Taiwan or has a war on its eastern front, that India would attack China? That's an interesting question. Um, we've definitely seen uh, India standing up to uh, the Chinese Communist Party in a way that it had not done um, in recent history, uh, not just uh, not just on the border, where there's been confrontations between Indian troops and Chinese troops, where Indian soldiers were actually killed last year. Uh, but also in Indian society, there's been a huge ban on uh, many types of Chinese apps. There is a growing cultural awareness of, you know, after Taiwan, India could be one of the next targets. Yeah. Uh, China is working with Pakistan. Uh, it's building potential military ports all around India, what's called the String of Pearls. And the idea is that China will be coming after India. Not right now. Well, piece by piece on the border. Well, once the U.S. collapses into, you know, the no the Democrat states in the north, for the most part, join Canada, and then the rest become Jesus land, as the meme <laughs> dictates, then China won't have any unified opposition for the most part, and then they can shift their focus to India, maybe Australia. Well, it is still a risk to, you can't do it too quick, otherwise India and Japan and Australia, maybe South Korea, though... There was a whole thing about election interference in South Korea involving China, but that's another yeah. story. Uh, yeah, step, well, step at a time. 
All right, let's see. We'll take one more right here. Rita Ho says, maybe maybe two more. Invite a Taiwanese KOL to talk about election integrity and how to fight information warfare. That sounds pretty cool. Yeah. What's a KOL? Yeah, I gotta look that up. Key opinion leader. Oh. Do you just come up with that? Shelley no, knows. that's no, that's, that's actual oh, that's... abbreviation for. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. Cool. No. All right. Gabriel McLeod, uh, we'll do this last one, says the potential for diplomacy with China implies those in a position to be diplomatic have any interest in enacting change for the good of the world instead of simply maintaining the status quo. Hmm. All right. All right. We'll leave it there. But if you haven't already, you guys got to smash that like button on your way out before you go. You got you to reach over and you got to give that little button a tap because it really does help the channel. And you should subscribe, hit that notification bell and share the show with your friends Share the clips. We put up clips, you know, every single day from the show. And uh, check us out on all podcast platforms, iTunes, Spotify, etc. You can follow me on all social media platforms at TimCast. My other channels are YouTube.com slash TimCast and YouTube.com slash TimCast News. This show is live Monday through Friday at 8 p.m. So we'll, we will be back Monday. But thank you all so much for hanging out. Smash that like button. I'll say it again. And uh, do you guys want to mention your social media and your show? Yeah, you can follow us on uh, YouTube.com slash China Uncensored as well as slash America Uncovered. You get a lot of really interesting information about the U.S. and China. Uh, you can also find us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Shelly, you have a very nice Twitter. Uh, my Twitter is at Shelzhang, S-H-E-L-Z-H-A-N-G. Uh, and we also, did you say the podcast? I didn't. I always forget yeah. the podcast. So uh, we also have a podcast, China Unscripted, on YouTube mm-hmm. and all the podcast platforms. Oh, very cool. Do you want to mention, do you have, do you have Twitter or anything? or? Uh Nope. No, I, I don't tweet. <laughs> he helps all us right. make all the other things. Yes. Well, there we go. And I am Sour Patch Lids here in the corner. You can find me on Twitter at Sour Patch Lids, as well as on Minds at Sour Patch Lids. And I'm also on Instagram and Gab at Real Sour Patch Lids. Everybody, thank you all so much for hanging out. I don't think we're going to have a, a special extended segment tonight. but uh, And it's always because I'm trying to do something for the weekends where literally every single Friday I'm like, we're going to go to the range and we're going to film it. And then we don't. Because people are leaving, you know, Luke was on vacation. We had we had the dude from Phoenix Ammo here, and we were going to go, and it was going to be awesome, film some drills. And then Luke is like, I'm going on vacation, see you later. And I was like, all right, I guess. So we'll try and get something up this weekend as an actual on-the-ground video vlog type thing. And uh, we are going to be launching a new version of the website, cleaner, upgraded. It, uh, you know, we started the website, we got members, the members provided revenue for the company that allow us to upgrade and we're investing it all back in. So you guys rock. Thank you all so much for, for hanging out and we will see you on Monday. Bye guys.